Tech Night Owl Live, the show for PC users who can handle the truth. And now, here's your host, Gene Steinberg. This week on the Tech Night Owl Live, we'll be featuring the return of Daniel Aaron Dilger of AppleInsider.com. He's been kind of a world traveler. Now he's back to talk about lots of subjects. We'll also hear from John Martellaro of the Mac Observer, who will tell you how his new MacBook talks to him. But what does it say? This is the Tech Night Owl Live. Well, it's been a very long while since we've talked to Daniel Aaron Dilger from Apple Insider and Roughly Drafted Magazine. You've been a world traveler, haven't you, Daniel? I have been on a few trips, yeah. Tell us about going to China and what you reported in Apple Insider as a different sort of experience with Apple's maps? Well, in February, I went to Taiwan and Hong Kong and into mainland China, Shenzhen. I, I did a report on each of those areas, kind of just Apple's, the retail stores they have and the operations that they're doing. One of the uh, reports I've done since then is talking about Apple Maps. And one of the most frustrating things about Apple Maps is that there's a lot of points that are historically have been in the wrong place. I've seen a lot of corrections here in San Francisco, particularly transit uh, stops are not really labeled. There's no connection between them as there is in Google Maps. So when you click on a, a metro station, for example, you don't know which metro stations it connects to. And also, particularly in Asia, there's kind of an important element in terms of when you're in a metro station, there's sort of a labyrinth of underground tunnels in a lot of places. And you have to know which exit you're going to meet somebody or if you're going to go from that metro station to a specific destination outside the station, there can be dozens of different exits that go several blocks from, from the metro station. So you have to kind of know how to navigate your way out of the metro station. And those are all things that other mapping products have addressed and Apple hasn't done anything for transit so far. However, it's not a problem with the Apple Maps application. A lot of people have acted like Apple doesn't know how to program an app. Where Apple Maps, even back when Apple was using Google, has always been an Apple product. Apple did the client application. Google was supplying the data, so the points of interest and stuff like that. What's interesting is when you go to China, if you look at China from here, from anywhere else in the world, in Apple Maps, you see maps that are a tier or two worse than, than what we're used to seeing in Europe or America or other places. But when you actually go into China, when you go past the firewall, you get a totally different set of data that data is from, it's kind of managed by China itself because uh, they don't allow companies to do their own mapping. You have to get it from kind of the official source. While there's less competition, there's also less um, variation in, in terms of what mapping data companies have. So in China, Apple has great data about China because China knows a lot about China. There's a number of features that you you can see in, in, in the maps within China that are things would be nice to have in, in our maps. So that kind of highlights one of the issues with Apple Maps is data. And that's some, one of the things that Apple's rumored to be working on with these vans with LiDAR devices on top is getting more information about where roads go. And Apple has, I think it's called Apple Connect. It's a program for working with vendors to make sure that their data is correct and where they're located and also that they can update that information. So Apple's working on a lot of things to improve that data. So instead of relying on third-party partners or amalgamating data from a variety of third-party partners, they have their own version somewhat similar to what, what they're working with in China. So they can do a lot more things 
then they're not bound by the limited data they have. Now, there's a published report or several showing that Apple has rented vans and it's possibly using them for street level surveying. Yeah, so they're quite clearly working to develop their own mapping data for both maps and, like I said, for point of interest. There's rumors, we don't know for sure what exactly they're doing, but they could be imaging for more detailed. If you use flyover, flyover is useful for certain things. It's somewhat automated based on aerial maps. So they're taking real-world photography of buildings and landscapes and things and building it into a 3D model. So you can zoom over and see where things lay out on the map. And it's very useful. I use it a lot of times when I'm traveling in, a, in an area where I don't know exactly what where things are, especially in an area where the, the streets aren't square. If you're in Europe and you're trying to navigate alleys in an area, I published a report uh, a couple years ago, I think, in Munich, just showing like when you're in the historic downtown area, there are all these alleys that connect through. And when you're looking at it, kind of a basic map like Google Maps or Apple Maps in, in standard street mode, it's kind of difficult to understand which are drivable streets, which are pedestrian access ways, and which ones can actually go through. But you put it in flyover mode and you can see, oh, this is a, a bunch of buildings kind of in concentric rings and here's a passageway through them and it makes more sense and you can navigate through things. And there's a variety of things where that feature that Apple introduced in, I guess it was iOS 6, as part of Apple Maps, to be able to have a fly, 3D flyover, is useful. It's not available in every city, though. And Apple could greatly benefit from having more mapping detail so that instead of just seeing sort of a, a SimCity view, you can actually go down into more of a street view where you're seeing actual storefronts and you can pick out a location of where you're going and kind of map, kind of, kind of pre-visualization of where you're going to be going on a, on a trip to a merchant, for example. Well, I know as an example of that, if I look at where I live, such as it is, in Apple Maps, I'll see the overview from the sky. If I look at Google, I see the street view. I see what a horrible place I live in. Well, street view is a is almost uh, more of a VR kind of visualization where Google goes down the street taking a series of photographs, and then you can kind of step through them in an animated way. So you can see what it sort of looks like as you drive along on a path. So we don't know exactly what Apple's doing, but they could do something similar to that, or they could do something where that's it's kind of even closer integrated into 3D maps. So you zoom into an area and you see not just a dimensional um, satellite image, but you can get down to the point where you see it really close. Apple's been working a lot on maps. There's There's been a couple of years where maps have not seemed to make any big jumps. You see changes in accuracy. You see a location that wasn't in the right place before or somewhere else. There's a variety of things that are frustratingly not don't appear to have improved at all. And one of the biggest things is transit and where transit stops are. There's a lot of places in San Francisco where you can look at an intersection and it will show you a couple different levels. Like there'll be a a streetcar that goes over the top of an intersection that also has an underground subway underneath it. And there'll be a a series of spots all over the intersection that label the metro station twice or kind of confusingly put together a couple different types of metro stations. So it's almost useless. And Hong Kong was the same way. There's a subway, and then above ground, there's sort of a tram that runs on top of it. They were both kind of the same information, I mean, the same dots. So you can't really tell. Is this a subway stop? Is this a surface stop that's more frequent on the surface where it's running almost like a bus? It's very difficult to 
make useful application of that. However, when you're in Hong Kong, you see international maps, you see international data. When you're in China and you look at Hong Kong maps, Hong Kong is very technically part of China. However, for some reason, it's not, not in the same data. It's not treated the same. So, for example, Americans can go to Hong Kong really easy. It's, very, it's much more difficult to go actually into China. You need a visa. However, if you're in China and you look at Apple Maps, Chinese version of Hong Kong, there's tremendously improved level of data of where things are. So you see a totally different icon for the streetcar that runs along the surface. And the subway maps show very clearly what the longer subway runs between stations are, whether a, a run actually goes to a station or whether it goes to a nearby one and is not connected by an actual train, for example. Uh, there's two stations in downtown um, or in, on the island of Hong Kong where two different train lines meet, and there's no trains between those two stations. However, there's a, a complex series of pedestrian tunnels that connect the two. It's right above one of Apple's more famous stores in, in Hong Kong. Let's get into more of this in our next segment. We're talking to Daniel Aaron Dilger of Apple Insider, where he explored the way Apple Maps is set up in China. So if you're on mainland China, they're using China's data. If you leave the borders of China, you're getting other data. And let's look in our next segment about what changes we expect come possibly next week in Apple Maps. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Hi, John Hubner from Midas Resources. Are you tired of watching your hard-earned assets dwindle away? As government spending is out of hand and the Federal Reserve is creating in excess of $20 billion a week, are you tired of stockbrokers gambling away your hard-earned money? Is this market a setup for a crash greater than 1987? Too many of today's policies resemble those that led to the collapse of 1929. This is John Hubner, and that was me in 2007. And we all know what happened when the subprime credit bubble burst. By March 2009, the dollar lost 50% of its value. The entire U.S. banking system was on the verge of collapsing. Like all financial problems of the past, is history about to repeat itself? Call me, John Hubner, at 1-800-686-2237, extension 129, before it's too late to protect yourself. Will the oncoming catastrophe take all private IRAs, 401ks with it? There is a way to protect your hard-earned assets. Call me, John Hubner, at 1-800-686. 2237 extension 129. Are you suffering from EP? The symptoms include fraudulent charges to your credit card. Your subway card says it's empty, but you bought it yesterday. Someone's been in your hotel room, but the desk clerk says they only show you entering the room. These are signs of EP. Electronic pickpocketing. Payment cards, transit cards, even hotel room keys. Use a radio chip so you can just wave your card at the register, the turnstile, or your hotel room door. But what's convenient for you is also convenient for thieves waving scanners to electronically pickpocket you without even touching you. The good news is there's a cure. ID Stronghold has created leather wallets and clutches that have built-in EP protection. Layers of shielding material cleverly concealed in a beautiful leather wallet that stops the symptoms of EP. Go to IDStronghold.com now and get the cure. IDStronghold.com. Warning, ID Stronghold wallets could lead to feelings of safety and security, comfort in crowds, and euphoria. If you experience these emotions, immediately inform your friends and family about IDStronghold.com so they can feel better too. 
Did you know that drinking pure, high alkaline water is one of the most important factors in maintaining high energy and vibrant health? Most experts agree that the water you drink should be at a pH level of 8 or higher. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops, available only at AlkaVision.com, combine a unique formula of only the most alkaline minerals. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops alkalize your water, ridding the body of harmful toxins, and helps you regain health and energy. Alkalizing your water by simply adding 10 drops of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops helps Helps the body rid itself of acidic waste, increases oxygen content, and raises the pH of your body to healthy levels. And bacteria and viruses cannot survive in an alkaline high pH environment. Order your bottle of AlkaVision Plasma pH drops for only $29.95 at AlkaVision.com. That's A-L-K-A-Vision.com. Or call 269-409-1776. 269-409-1776. Alkalize your body. Supercharge your health at AlkaVision.com today. Yuvia needed financing to grow her restaurant business, but her bank simply didn't understand. I was frustrated. Yuvia found on-deck business loans. On-deck did it for me. I called on Saturday, and I had $50,000 in my account on Monday morning. How about the terms? Incredibly easy. It doesn't mess with your cash flow. On-deck changed everything. This company, on-deck, is going to be there for me. Was it a good move? I'm looking to increase sales probably 30%. Been in business for at least a year with 100000 plus in revenue? On Deck can get you 5000 to $250,000 in as little as one business day. And they're A-plus rated with the Better Business Bureau. On Deck has opened up so many doors for me now. Truly, truly, the sky is the limit. I, I'm excited. Apply now at ondecklending.com or call 800-326-5430. 800-326-5430. Loan subject to lender approval. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, please send it to news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. If you'd like to discuss today's show with fellow Night Owls, visit our community forums at forum.technightowl.com. That's forum.technightowl.com. So Tech Night Owl Plus is our premium service, and we offer you for a modest monthly fee the ad-free version of the Tech Night Owl Live higher resolution audio. We take out 41 minutes of network commercials. We charge you $5 a month, 50 a year, 175 for five years. To learn more about Tech Night Owl Plus, go to plus.technightowl.com. Once again, that's plus.technightowl.com. We have Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine and Apple Insider with us talking about the different amounts of data you get from mainland China in mainland China vis-a-vis what you get outside the borders of China. Okay, so Apple has been playing with this now for, what, three years, almost three years, Apple Maps. Things are getting better. It's not as bad as it used to be, although some members of the media think we're living in a time warp where the sense of time has frozen. So... What can we expect from Apple when they really revise this, and can we expect it next week? Well, there's certainly things we can expect next week, based on the fact that Apple's been making a series of acquisitions with an obvious intent relating to maps, particularly transit maps, and also indoor mapping. So we don't know exactly what they're going to be doing, but it's very clear that they're working on adding transit directions. That's something that, you know, they bought HopStop, which is already a a good app for 
navigating transit. It was a third party app and have been integrating it into maps or we believe that so as opposed to a third party and a separate application. They're also working on a variety of other things with iBeacon and indoor mapping. So being able to navigate a map and then you go to a something like a mall or a transit station and having the ability to get detailed information about like where specific stores are in an enclosed area or things like that. Those are all things that Apple's been working on and we don't know exactly what the status is of it yet. We haven't seen the results or any rumors. It's one of the things that Apple's been guarding pretty closely. However, they've been working on it for years. There's were rumors that they were going to expose more of it last year and they pulled it so as to have the first release of it really dialed in. And they're working on a lot of other things too with mapping, improving their mapping data. Now, those are things that are difficult to immediately roll out. So you can have the technology to do something. For example, like we're talking about 3D aerial maps, which Apple calls flyover. The fact that Apple has the technology, they, they acquired the technology to do these maps. They don't have it in every city yet. It takes effort. It takes time collecting this data and massaging it to where it's perfect. And there's a lot more scrutiny for Apple. So companies like Google have frequently rolled out things that are kind of half finished and, you know, here's a beta program and everyone is sort of applauded the fact that they're trying new things. Whereas when Apple does something, um, if there's any flaw at all, it becomes this huge news of, you know, here the, here's a dam in a remote area that no one cares what it looks like and it doesn't look correct in these automated 3D maps. So let's freak out about it and talk about what a failure Apple Maps is. Well, let me just tell you very briefly. Google Maps has a street-level illustration of the place in which I live. It's over three years old, based on the changes to it, based on the motor vehicle that's in the driveway. It's over three years old. So I don't know how often they update these things. Regardless, Apple deserved the attacks when they first came out. But as they've made improvements, it's like, again, suspended in a time warp where time does not pass. So let's see what Apple comes up with. Obviously, we can only guess based on all the acquisitions. I gather, though, the end game is to have as much of that data in-house as possible, not rely on third parties as much as they do now. Yes. As you know, that, that's, a, that's a more difficult thing. And it's also outside of what I think a lot of people would say Apple's core competency is. Apple is very good at developing uh, hardware. They're quite good at developing platforms. In fact, they're better at doing platforms, in, in my opinion, than, you know, if you look at Google, they've been much better at developing platforms that developers can use. And that's why developers use iOS instead of Android, which it's difficult to use Android. And it's even becoming pretty easy to say that, that, Macintosh as a platform and iOS as a platform have been better managed than Windows, quite obviously. And and it wasn't too long ago that it would be difficult to say that. It used to be when I said things like that, people would be like, oh, no, you can't possibly say that. Windows is what everybody uses. And now it's not so much, particularly as the world goes mobile. But what Apple has frequently been not as good at is services. It's kind of a further step into software where you're collecting data. So they've done very good at doing operating system, platforms, operating systems, and apps. But when it comes to kind of service data, that's been one of Apple's weakest things. And conversely, that's one of Google's strongest things. Google is amazing at being able to manage data and manage uh, content and aggregate and, and analyze data. Google Analytics is pretty impressive. If you want to learn how to, if you're trying to spell a word, 
and you're doing it with Siri or any of the search tools that, that Apple has in the dictionary, they can sort of spell check pretty well. But if you just can't figure out how to spell something, oftentimes Apple can actually help you. And you can put in just the most horrible attempt at spelling something in Google, and it will almost always say, did you mean this? And of course, that's what I meant. So Google is very good at certain things that Apple is least good at. And that's why Apple and Google made such a great pairing when the iPhone first came out. And since then, Google kind of said, oh, you know, very, I think, in my opinion, I've repeated this a lot of times, between 2008 and kind of 2010, Google was extremely arrogant and acting like it was just going to walk in and just destroy Apple and push iOS into irrelevance in a, in a very similar way that Windows 95 just kind of pushed the Macintosh out of the way, copied almost all of its value, and just shoved it out of relevance for several years until Steve Jobs brought it back, and it took a long time for it to come back. A lot of people thought the exact same thing was going to happen in 2009, 2010 as, as Android started to become relevant as everything else was destroyed by iOS. That didn't actually materialize. We had all these websites, you know, people like The Verge and CNET and all these tech media, they were saying Android's just going to blow everything away and Apple's going to be irrelevant in a couple years. And that didn't happen because Google, while being very good at a lot of services and portions of the phone experience, particularly with things like maps, that were something that Apple had never done before or was not good at, obviously. But it failed at everything else. It failed at creating a platform that people could use effectively and to make money for themselves. Apple worked very hard to make it easy for developers to make a, a living on iOS. And Google made it, Google's entire intent with, with Android was to make it good for Google, which made it not so good for developers. And so now we're at the point where even at the high point of Android, where it was on 80% of devices, the majority of those devices were outdated. They had huge security holes. They had no ability to be updated. And they had all kinds of compatibility problems and fragmentation that made it very difficult. And I talked to a lot of people who have used Android and willingly have gone out, you know, gone from an iPhone to an Android device and asked them, what, what made you do that? What do you like about it? What do you not like about it? And the kind of feedback that I get is that for a period of time, it appeared that Google was moving faster and adding new features and being able to do things, but that fell flat. Let's do a break here and we'll figure out why. More to come with Daniel Aaron Dilger. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night How Live. Independently leading the way for the nation. Compelling talk. For every political persuasion, we are GCN. We live in a complicated society. Stressful issues are always popping up. Have you ever been treated unfairly by someone? Have you ever been overcharged for a repair? Have you ever signed a contract or a document worried about identity theft? How many times have you been in those unique situations where you just wanted to call an attorney to find out if you're right or wrong or what your legal rights are? But every time you think about calling an attorney, what do you think about first? That's right. Who do you call and how much will it cost? Our friends at Legal Shield have found a solution. With a nationwide network of 6,900 attorneys who average 19 years of experience, Legal Shield's law firms take over 40,000 calls per week helping their members. For less than $20 per month, you can have access to Legal Shield on everything from the trivial to the traumatic. Let Legal Shield stand up for your rights at lsprotection.com. That's lsprotection.com. Or call 855-340-SAVE, 855-340-7283. Results will vary from case to case. 
Yuvia needed financing to grow her restaurant business, but her bank simply didn't understand. I was frustrated. Yuvia found on-deck business loans. On-deck did it for me. I called on Saturday, and I had $50,000 in my account on Monday morning. How about the terms? Incredibly easy. It doesn't mess with your cash flow. On-deck changed everything. This company, on-deck, is going to be there for me. Was it a good move? I'm looking to increase sales probably 30%. Been in business for at least a year with $100,000 plus in revenue? On Deck can get you $5,000 to $250,000 in as little as one business day. And they're A-plus rated with the Better Business Bureau. On Deck has opened up so many doors for me now. Truly, truly, the sky is the limit. I, I'm excited. Apply now at ondecklending.com or call 800-326-5430. 800-326-5430. Loan subject to lender approval. Hi, Coast to Coast listeners. I'm Kay Swirling from KSCO Radio in Santa Cruz. I'm 93 years old, and I'm a big fan of George Norrie because his topics and guests are fascinating and really get you thinking. George is just as bothered as I am by all the advertising you hear for toxic prescription drugs that make you sicker, not healthy. I prefer to give my body all 90 essential nutrients it needs for life to prevent disease, not compound it. My favorite complete supplement is Beyond Tangy Tangerine from Longevity, which I take every day along with EFA Plus and Beyond Osteo FX, which together are called the Healthy Start Pack. I recommend you go online to criticalhealthnews.com to purchase these products. That's criticalhealthnews.com or call 855-949-RADIO. Are you suffering from EP? The symptoms include fraudulent charges to your credit card. Your subway card says it's empty, but you bought it yesterday. Someone's been in your hotel room, but the desk clerk says they only show you entering the room. These are signs of EP. Electronic pickpocketing. Payment cards, transit cards, even hotel room keys. Use a radio chip so you can just wave your card at the register, the turnstile, or your hotel room door. But what's convenient for you is also convenient for thieves waving scanners to electronically pickpocket you without even touching you. The good news is there's a cure. ID Stronghold has created leather wallets and clutches that have built-in EP protection. Layers of shielding material cleverly concealed in a beautiful leather wallet that stops the symptoms of EP. Go to IDStronghold.com now and get the cure. IDStronghold.com. Warning, ID Stronghold wallets could lead to feelings of safety and security, comfort in crowds, and euphoria. If you experience these emotions, immediately inform your friends and family about IDStronghold.com so they can feel better too. Live with Gene Steinberg, it's the Tech Night Owl, because you never know what's going to happen next. So we see here that for a while it seemed as if Google was advancing its mobile operating system faster than Apple. And then things fell flat. Daniel Aaron Dilger, why? Well, one of the good examples of that, I mean, basically the, the, the reason is what I've been saying about Google is very good at figuring how to solve problems in, in things like services and cloud services. But one of the things they're not very good at, one of the things they have no experience at, in this kind of a similar way that Apple had no previous real experience with Maps, is that Google really didn't have a previous experience with operating a platform. And everybody just acted like, if Apple can do it, Google can do it. 
only Apple and Microsoft have really maintained a development platform for decades. Google wasn't even around when those things came out. It's much harder than it looks. And you look at all these other smartphone companies, um, Nokia had Symbian, BlackBerry had a version of Java, BlackBerry OS, Palm had its thing, Microsoft developed its own operating system for mobile, and iOS crushed them all. These were companies that were very established, they had more money than Apple, they had smart developers, but it was very difficult to jump to a whole new level of, of where Apple had aimed at. And Google was attempting to do the same thing because they originally were planning to come out with Android was originally sort of this very basic like danger level Java platform. And after the iPhone came out, they said, oh, we have to step up our game. And they, and they developed Android to be much more of a copy of iOS in terms of how it worked and how it was going to what, what, what level of sophistication it had. But they made a lot of decisions that were not very good in terms of being able to keep up with iOS. And even as they sort of ameliorated those decisions and gained a lot of users and potentially a lot of developers, you know, giving them, they had a platform that was in use, they did a very poor job of managing that platform. So they gave a pass to security, copying many of the same things that Microsoft did that caused it lots of problems in the, around the turn of the millennium in terms of security and malware and problems like that. They didn't really have any sense of protecting users' privacy because Android was designed primarily to sell ads for Google, not to be a great product for users. Now, I wanted to ask you something quickly here because we've covered some of this before. With Android L or Lollipop, they were supposed to make it more compatible with lower-powered Android devices to up the amount of upgrading. But after a year, well, not a year, since last November or so, about 10% of the user base is upgraded. So it's not much better. Yeah, and that's Google Play's number. So that's talking about in the United States and Western countries where Google matters. Google doesn't matter in China. Google is saying that less than 10% of its users have migrated to the operating system that it released last year. In comparison to iOS 8, which Apple says is above 80%, 82%. That's a huge difference in being able to upgrade your, your user base. So when people talk about how popular and widespread Android is, they're talking about old versions of the software. That's not just a little bit older, it's a lot older. So it's not just the 10 versus 80% of the population that's on the latest version. But if you go back to the version before... Almost all of the, the people who are not on iOS 8 are on a, a version of iOS 7, which is only another year old. If you look at Google stats, there's half of the population is on something on the area of iOS 6 or earlier. So a lot of the Android installed base is using really outdated software that has a lot of well-known bugs and severe bugs. And that's being shown in the media more and more. And there's there's kind of an issue lately with, you know, comments made by Tim Cook about privacy and security and having a competent platform that a lot of people that make excuses for Google have been taking pot shots at that and saying, oh, this is, you know, Apple is just sowing fear and uncertainty and doubt about Android. That's not true because security companies are telling us this. It's not it's not just Apple. Security companies are telling us that the problems are with Android. And there was just a report, I think it was NBC News where they, one of these researchers 
did a project where he gave somebody an Android phone and he's walking around Los, Los Angeles or Las Vegas, I think. And just by clicking a link on his phone, he compromised it. He could spy on the guy. He could tell what things he was doing. He could pull up pictures he'd taken with his phone. He recorded the guy ordering in McDonald's and told him what kind of hamburger he ordered. So the, the amount of non-security that is in, involved with Android, how easy it is for not just malicious hackers to attack, but anybody, whether it's the NSA or foreign Chinese hackers or wh whoever, Android is just a completely insecure platform. And a large part of that is because Google doesn't care about security because they're trying to pull up all the data on you that they can themselves. They've created a platform for that. And so that's the biggest difference, I think, between Android and iOS. And I think it's becoming more and more obvious to consumers as they see these reports over and over and over again. Although a lot of these reports don't make it quite as clear in the headline that this is a problem with Android. They're just kind of saying, oh, this is a problem with mobiles. And then, you know, you read the details and like, oh, this is only applying to Android. But it's becoming more and more obvious as people see this. And people see it also just in the, the level of quality. Like I was talking to friends that I talked to that have tried Android and within a year they're back because the phones fall apart. One guy said his home button just stops working. And then when you try to get something fixed, instead of taking it to the Apple store and, and then fixing it rapidly and having this kind of boutique kind of level of service, you try to get something fixed from Samsung and it's a huge pain. A lot of people drop their phones, you crack your screen. With an iPhone, you can go on Amazon and find a kit for yourself for $15 or some ridiculous tiny amount of money. You can get the parts and fix it yourself. You can take it to somebody and they'll fix it for $50. You can take it to Apple and they'll fix it for $100 or less, typically with most of their phones. You break your phone on a Samsung phone, and even people who really love Samsung have reported that it costs them hundreds of dollars to replace their screen. Now, this is interesting here. There were reports, first of all, and we'll get back to Google Android in a moment, but there were reports that the new Galaxy 6, that they were selling better than the S5. The S6 were selling better than the S5. And then, no, it's about the same. So what's going on here? We've heard a lot of reports about... Pro the, one of the biggest problems is we know exactly how many phones Apple's selling. We don't have really any real data on from Samsung about how many phones they sell. They sell. Because you know, and when a company doesn't give you information about what they're selling, there's usually a good reason for it. And we sell that frequently with things like Kindle Fire and... and um, all these tablets that they were kind of talking about as being really successful, when it really came down to it, it's like, no, actually they weren't, and now they're not doing them anymore. And they've never made any money on them. And it's the same thing with Samsung. Samsung kept saying, you know, hey, we've sold, we've shipped as huge amounts to here, and we've done this in this many days. And then when the numbers would actually come out, when they would have real numbers come out during the trial, their copyright trial or the, the infringement trials, it became clear that no, they weren't actually selling that many. They're, the tablets that Samsung was selling were a huge boondoggle ever since they came out with the first tablets. Now, and I'm getting the impression here that a lot of the figures for tablet sales compared to iPad are actually bogus and they're never corrected. Let's get into that and then we'll get into the Google I.O. conference. Let's continue. It, yeah, there was a lot of data about tablets and also about smartphones saying how many, how many volumes it shipped and how how great that, that Samsung was doing this huge volumes. And a lot of it was coming from companies that had sort of connections with Samsung. And it's not even clear if they're doing anything but just 
providing propaganda for Samsung. But the end was that, no, it doesn't matter how many phones Samsung is shipping. If they're old, outdated things to markets that Apple doesn't even address, they're not really competing. Also, the value of the shipments, it, you know, that's, that's quite important, but also the amount of money that they're making from it. Because there's a lot of people that I've talked to about Android, and they're saying, oh, well, Apple's making too much money. Well, making money is kind of an important aspect in terms of being able to invest money in their future products. Let's do our break here. A little bit later in this episode, we'll be hearing from John Martellaro. He's from the Mac Observer. He'll talk about his first week as the owner of a brand new Apple Watch and how his MacBook talks to him and maybe what it says. Daniel Aaron Dilger is with us. More to come on the Tech Night How Live. Independently leading the way for the nation. Compelling talk for every political persuasion. We are GCN. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that too in Graphic Converter. Also print catalogs. Convert from so many formats, I can't even list them. Download now to see if Graphic Converter is good for you, like one and a half million other users. Guess what? You could save money when you buy Graphic Converter. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL to get a special price for Graphic Converter. Go to LemkeSoft.com. That's L-E-M-K-E Soft.com. LemkeSoft.com. L-E-M-K-E Soft.com. It's time to build your own emergency food stockpile with the industry leader, My Patriot Supply. Once you try them, you'll know why so many Americans like you have made them part of their emergency preparedness plan. Experience the My Patriot Supply difference today with this unbelievable offer. Right now, a four-week food supply is only $99, and that includes free shipping. That's 50% off the online price. Call 800-274-3070 to claim yours. Limit two per caller while supplies last. This offer isn't available online, so you want to make sure and grab this opportunity to get prepared today. 800-274-3070 to get your four-week food supply for the incredible price of only $99, and it'll be shipped to you completely free. Call 800-274-3070 right now. That's 800-274-3070 to claim yours while supplies last. Don't wait. Call today. You're fired. According to the Small Business Administration, 75% of small businesses plan to eliminate jobs or reduce workers' hours to part-time. You're fired. According to Gallup, the unemployment rate recently jumped to nearly 9%, and the underemployment rate hit a staggering 17.9%. You're fired. One out of three young adults and one out of two recent college graduates are underemployed. Hello, I'm Keith Abel, a pharmacist and a home business entrepreneur. In 2011, I became one of those statistics myself. Instead of looking for another job in corporate America, I joined Dr. Joel Wallet, the Dead Doctors Don't Lie guy. We're creating steady incomes for ourselves and would like to show you how to do the same. 
If you want to supplement your current income, replace your income, so you don't have to become one of the statistics, then give me a call toll-free at 866-257-3105. 866-257-3105. You're fired. Don't wait till you hear those words. Start creating an extra income today. 866-257-3105. Yuvia needed financing to grow her restaurant business, but her bank simply didn't understand. I was frustrated. Yuvia found on-deck business loans. On deck did it for me. I called on Saturday and I had $50,000 in my account on Monday morning. How about the terms? Incredibly easy. It doesn't mess with your cash flow. On deck changed everything. This company, On Deck, is going to be there for me. Was it a good move? I'm looking to increase sales probably 30%. Been in business for at least a year with 100,000 plus in revenue? On Deck can get you 5,000 to $250,000 in as little as one business day and their A+ rated with the Better Business Bureau. Gondek has opened up so many doors for me now. Truly, truly, the sky is the limit. I, I'm excited. Apply now at ondecklending.com or call 800-326-5430. 800-326-5430. Loan subject to lender approval. Do you know what's going to happen next? Well, here's the Tech Night Owl, live with Gene Steinberg. I'm Gene Steinberg. We're in the Tech Night Owl live with Daniel Aaron Dilger, who's been a world traveler, but is back now to tell us what he's learned. So the thing here, when you look at these sales figures for tablets and iPads still number one but by a much lower percentage a lot of these are so-called white label tablets that have no known brand and these are the kind I guess you buy at Walmart for $50 as if that's even compatible well there are a lot of really low-end devices and iPad introduced the tablet as being sort of a, a new take on computing and a lot of people were real critical of when it, when it first came out. It's like, oh, it doesn't do this and doesn't do this. It doesn't have multiple windows on the screen. Well, Apple thought about how people relate to computers. And there's a lot of us that have been very familiar with working on a desktop PC. But if you think about your mom and other people who struggle to grasp a lot of computing things, and one of the hardest things for them is the file system, just understanding what's going on with that. And there's security implications, too. If you have a computer and it's wide open and all your Every app that you have on the system can be doing things that you don't understand what it's doing and accessing apps that you don't, or accessing other data created by other apps. That becomes a problem, especially on a mobile device. And so Apple gave a lot of thought to that, and Google and others didn't. And the result of that is pretty clear when you see Apple has a totally different level of security than Android has ever had in terms of how apps can access files their own files and files from other other um, apps. And a lot of people that were kind of familiar with PCs took issue with that and said, oh, I want a regular file system and I want it to work just like computers did in the 90s. Well, that's what kind of Android gave them. And the result was that you have no real security. And now Google has been backtracking and adding a lot of features from iOS back and saying, oh, yeah, we you know with the new thing with Android M, or the next version is, is that it's going to have app permissions that are just like iOS. And it's going to have other things that are just like iOS. 
And the way you do copy and paste is going to be just like iOS. Because the way that Google did it first was wrong. And you're talking about Google I.O. I mean, almost all the things that they introduced about their new version of Android are things that they're taking from iOS because their initial implementation of competing strategy, even if it came many years first, was flawed to the point where it didn't work at all. And, and uh, Google Pay is a good example. Google Wallet. They came out with payment system years before Apple, but it never really took off. And it had a series of significant problems that not only made people not want to use it, it made banks not want to support it, and it made it easy for hackers to get access to data that they shouldn't have. And it was primarily because Google designed all that to benefit themselves. They wanted to know more about how customers are spending data. Where Apple Pay isn't designed to do that at all. It doesn't track you. It doesn't make a list of what you buy and send it to Apple. And it doesn't give uh, merchants a huge amount of data about you. It gives them money. And then that's it. Here's my money. Here's my name. Here's a card number that is only good for one transaction so you can't track me over time and, and build a dossier of what I'm doing. And so now the next version of Google's Android Pay works exactly the same way. The problem for Google is that their licensees, and particularly Samsung, have already rolled their own. They've already rolled their own fingerprint sensor um, support and also their own payment system. So now Google is trying to take that back away and put it into Android. That's probably not going to work very well. So there's going to be a huge fragmentation of what's being supported. And Samsung has already made purchases and you know developed this technology so that you can wipe your phone next to a card swiper and it gives the merchant the same information that you'd have with a card swipe, which is your card number. So that's also competing with Android Pay. So again, Android has a mess of payment systems, even though Google got into the system first and delivered these services rapidly, they didn't think a lot about what should happen and what would be the best way to do it. They didn't wait until the technology was available. And so Apple is poised to have a much um, easier time rolling out systems. So there's, there's one system, everybody understands how it works, and there's less problems with that system being manipulated by people are taking advantage of the hooks that Google put in there to get information. And I think Apple is really working hard to promote the concept of work. We care about security and we care about privacy. Now, there is a story in CNN. I don't know if you've seen it about some new kind of Mac security problem. The firmware issue, yeah. Yeah, where somehow accesses the firmware when you wake from sleep, is it? Well, it's a... The firmware operates kind of on a different level than you might think of it as your conscious and your subconscious. You know, when you turn on the computer, it goes... The firmware boots up the system to the point where it's ready to hand off to the operating system. So it's not... On a, on a PC, it's not Windows, or it's not Macintosh. It's, it's this firmware system that's booting it up, EFI usually. And if Windows or a Mac could, if a program in the in the user environment can change the low-level functioning of EFI, that's not a good thing. And there's a bug in Macs before 2014 or something like that that allows that to potentially happen. It's not happening. There's a researcher that came up with this idea that, you know, this could possibly happen. If you could exploit the machine, you could go in and you could um, take advantage of this flaw and write something to the firmware. And then once it's written, then the firmware could create problems. But this is, it's a theoretical problem. 
It's this is a vulnerability that could exist on older Macs. And so, of course, it gets blown into a thing of all these Macs have this problem. No, that's not actually the case. There's a vulnerability and it's, it's a, it is a problem, but it's something that could be fixed by just removing that problem. So it's, it's kind of the typical reporting about Apple is, you know, here's a flaw. It is, it is a, a, a real flaw, but it's a theoretical problem of this could exist. So when that becomes the headlines, when almost all Android devices have real problems and almost all Windows devices have real problems, you plug into the internet and you're infected if you don't have far, layers of firewall protecting Windows. That doesn't get a story, but you know this theoretical, hey, I think this could possibly happen if somebody hacked your Mac and they knew how to do all this stuff, they could make something that would be a problem for you. But they have to first have physical access to your Mac, correct? Well, theoretically, if somebody had a way to exploit Macs, and you know that's not difficult to do from taking advantage of you know, a flaw with um, something like Adobe Flash. You get something, a foot in the door, and then you can do something. And it's, So it's not impossible to do, but it's not something like Android where you, know, you click a link and boom, you're already, there's already tools in play. You can go on the internet and search, how do I spy on my wife? And there's all kinds of Android plug-and-play devices where you just, oh, just do this, click this link, and boom, you can just spy on everything she does. You know, you can go and try and find an exploit for the Mac firmware. It's not available on the internet. There's no market for it. Somebody could spend a lot of money developing it, but it's not there yet. And let's point out, to be fair, and Apple can the wife it. can spy on the husband with the same tools on the Android smartphones. Yes, and everybody <laughs> can spy on everybody. It's just fun. Doesn't matter what you do. There's a way to spy on people. Yeah, but, and that's that's something. But like basically, said, here I'm not seeing that that Google is doing much to fix that. Although it's granted can't. that current operating systems are more secure than the older ones, but it doesn't matter if you can't upgrade. Yeah, and it, and it's also like we've been talking about. Very few people are actually on the newer system. I mean, Google drew a line not too not too long ago, saying, "Oh, before KitKat, we're not even going to care about all these known browser problems in our own browser, the Android browser." before what they started calling Chrome, um, the web browser on almost all the installed base or a huge portion of the installed base of Android is broken and has known flaws that are already exploited. And Google is just, oh, well, that's a big problem. We don't want to fix it, so get a new Android device. And the media largely gave Google a pass. No one's talking about it anymore. They're talking about this flaw for you know, Mac firmware that is not being exploited. Now, with Google's Android M, what we saw was a developer version. So it's going to come out, what, somewhat later in the year, towards the end of the year? Both Android or both Google, Google's Android and Apple's iOS have been following kind of similar pattern of having a summer conference where they detail what's going to happen with their next operating system. And then it comes out later in the fall, usually September, October. All right. I'm going to mention something else about Apple adoption and Android adoption in a moment. We have Daniel Aaron Dilger. He writes for Apple Insider at AppleInsider.com. And on a rare occasion, such as April Fool's Day, you'll see him over at Roughly Drafted Magazine. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live.
minds think alike. The network for the independent-minded. The Genesis Communications Network. GCN. There are hundreds of silver products on the market today, but there's nothing like the astonishing health benefits of the multi-patented One Silver Solution. Boost your immune system at a great price with our Silver Solution Liquid, starting at $12.95 a bottle, now available in regular and extra strength. That's half the price of the leading competitors. Call 844-USE-SILVER for your free catalog or go to OneSilverSolution.com. OneSilverSolution.com. There is only one silver solution. We the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit, then carting to a private bank, having it lent back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Ted Anderson, I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. Are you suffering from EP? The symptoms include fraudulent charges to your credit card. Your subway card says it's empty, but you bought it yesterday. Someone's been in your hotel room, but the desk clerk says they only show you entering the room. These are signs of EP. Electronic pickpocketing. Payment cards, transit cards, even hotel room keys. Use a radio chip so you can just wave your card at the register, the turnstile, or your hotel room door. But what's convenient for you is also convenient for thieves waving scanners to electronically pickpocket you without even touching you. The good news is there's a cure. ID Stronghold has created leather wallets and clutches that have built-in EP protection. Layers of shielding material cleverly concealed in a beautiful leather wallet that stops the symptoms of EP. Go to IDStronghold.com now and get the cure. IDStronghold.com. Warning, ID Stronghold wallets could lead to feelings of safety and security, comfort in crowds, and euphoria. If you experience these emotions, immediately inform your friends and family about IDStronghold.com so they can feel better too. Welcome back to the Tech Night Owl Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Later on in the show, we'll be hearing from John Martellero, our friend from the Mac Observer. Right now, we have Daniel Aaron Dilger. After being a world traveler, he's back at home. And we're covering all his wisdom about different subjects. All right. So a lot of criticisms have been made about the so-called poor adoption rate of iOS 8, which lagged behind iOS 7. Now, other than millions of fewer devices being supported, of course, I look at the situation. So last year, before iOS 8 came out, iOS 7 reached 90 or 91%. Okay? We're doing the show June. The next iOS version will probably be like late September. Okay, so June. So it's still like another three months of useful life. Right now at Mixed Panel Trends, the adoption rate for iOS 8 is 86.69%. Goes up a little bit, down a little bit. From Apple, which you regard as possibly more accurate, their adoption rate is now at 82%. So you've got to assume by the time we get to the adoption rate starting to slip for iOS 8 when iOS 9 is out, it's going to be in the upper 80s or close to 90. Not much different from what it was with the previous version of iOS. In the meantime, as we mentioned before, Android L, 
the current version, Android M is not going to be out for a few months. The adoption rate's about 10%. So what are these people talking about that people aren't getting iOS 8 as much as they should? Well, a lot of it was just trying to find something bad to say about Apple, because that's a story. But if you look at the difference between iOS 7 and iOS 8, iOS 7 was a total revamping of everything. And for even the most completely non-technical user who doesn't know anything about iOS, um, upgrading to iOS 7 meant you had a completely new look and appearance of what was going on in the operating system, made your phone look like a completely new device, and so it was wildly popular. iOS 8 didn't change all those things. They made refinements to the interface, but it didn't look completely different. So a lot of people didn't immediately understand what, what the benefit was of, of upgrading. Also, there are a number of factors that kept normal people, non-technical people, from upgrading to iOS 8. The primary one is that they're running out of space on their machines, on, on their devices. Because Apple was originally requiring that you had, I can't remember the exact number, but it was something like five or six gigs available on your phone. And a lot of people have taken so many pictures that they don't have that much space. And so they don't know what to do. So they throw away all their pictures. Um, that's an unfortunate thing for a lot of people to do um, because an increasing number of people have mobile devices and don't have a computer or they don't have a Mac at least. So there's not an, an easy, obvious way for a lot of people to get all their photos off and make room. Apple has addressed that in a couple different angles, one with photos and, and being able to back up your stuff online. But more importantly, they've changed the update procedure so that you don't need to have as much space available. It's, it's better at, I don't know if it's downloading more of a delta of, of upgrading more efficiently or doing it in, incrementally, like as it, I don't know exactly how it works, but they've, they've made it more effective at being able to upgrade without as much space available. Because a lot of people don't also, also don't have a computer that they can plug their iOS device in and, and do it that way. That takes less memory usually. So Apple's been improving their over-the-air updates. So that may update. So it wasn't really... I mean, they're trying to spin it as, oh, customers don't care about iOS 8. Well, it's largely because, A, they didn't, they didn't see the immediate benefit, and B, in many cases, they weren't able to because of the update situation is filling up their phone. And people are taking so many pictures. One of the analysts just recently observed that you know, for decades, the amount of silver halide photos, you know, camera photos that people were taking um, was eclipsed in the last year. So decades and decades and decades of, of people taking photos in the last year, everyone's been taking more photos on their phone than previous decades of families taking pictures of everything they took pictures of because it's so easy to take digital pictures. And Apple's making it even easier with burst, you know, you burst and you have 100 pictures there. Now your, your phone is filling up with pictures. So I think we need better tools to manage that. And a lot of people need better tools in terms of getting photos off their phone so that they can have free space and understand that better. So, I mean, those are things that Apple's incrementally addressing. All right. So the point being here is that at first it was more difficult to get iOS 8. There were some early release bugs and hopefully with the next version, iOS 9, they'll make it easier. There are supposedly reports now in USA Today that it's going to be a somewhat slimmer update, which will make it easier. But once again, don't forget that at least with iOS 8, some of the hardware supported by iOS 7 wasn't supported. So the total number 
of actual upgrades that can even exist is finite. There's a point where it reaches a limitation. I don't know where that limit is. As I said, Apple reports 82% for Apple Store access. It's reported to be 86% and some odd at mixed panel trends. By September, upper 80s, 90%, I have no idea. And then they'll be talking about the next version. Have you been doing much with regard to Windows 10, checking out the technical previews yet, Daniel? I haven't checked out technical previews. I've, I've re- been reading about it, but I haven't been closely examining it. Now, when you look at the feature set, I was looking at it yesterday where they were touting the great new improvements. First, the start menu. And all that is, of course, is just restoring the start menu basically as it was with Windows 7, which was killed for Windows 8 for no reason that made sense, and adding a few extra features to it. That's the most important new feature? Yeah, I mean, basically they're repealing their attempt to kind of appropriate sort of the value and experience of the iPad and iOS into Windows, and they did it in a way that their own consumers didn't care for. And now they're repealing that and calling it, you know, a feature and be excited that we're going back to the way things were. Windows used to be driving the tech industry because PCs were the core of where things are. Um, And it's similar in, in some, in some cases to Android in that there were, a huge part of what was Windows was kind of irrelevant, old stuff. But the relevant part of Windows was always bigger than the Mac. And we're increasingly seeing Apple gain parts of that relevance. If you think of, you know, a pyramid shape, there's the small tip of the pyramid can be the most valuable. And over the last, I think, three years, or it maybe even longer than that, probably longer than that. They talk about how many quarters. It's, it's been something like 22 quarters, which is several years. Macs have been growing significantly faster than PCs. And that's just Macs. So Apple keeps selling more and more Macs, and the Mac installed base keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. But all the gains that Apple has made with increasing Mac market share, and it's now, clo- you know, it's, it's, it's now quite significant. And those are all premium computers. When you compare the, the the rest of Windows, a lot of those are kind of just like entry-level junk that doesn't really matter so much. Apple has also augmented its Mac user base with a ton of iPads. And people keep talking about how iPads are cooling off and, you know, leveling off and shrinking slightly. They're shrinking a lot less than the PC. So Apple's making inroads in premium PCs and also this PC alternative tablet among tablets that matter. So if you look at enterprise tablets, education, um, premium consumers, the, the cream of the market in tablets is almost entirely Apple's. Now, there's a whole lot of tablets that are kind of functioning as televisions. You know, little portable YouTube device watches. They're, they're screens. And it's having an impact on the market. It's having an impact on how much people sit in the living room and watch television. It's having an impact on console games. And it's a very real thing, but it's not addressing the same market as Apple's computer is. 
It's just a tiny TV set, a tiny portable TV set. Like you used to be able to buy like a DVD player with like a 10-inch TV. That's replaced by a tablet. More to come on the Tech Night Owl Live. Have you ever felt like the United States government knows way too much about your financial affairs? I continue to hear stories about property seizures, frozen bank accounts, confiscation of stocks and bonds. It makes me wonder if the U.S. citizen will ever again have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Unfortunately, with the Drug and Money Laundering Act, the IRS Revenue Ruling 6045 of 1984, and the Trading with the Enemy Act and Franklin D. Roosevelt's Executive Order of 1933, some precious metal holdings are subject to government intervention. For this reason, Midas Resources has prepared a report explaining the boundaries of trading precious metals privately. Whether if you have any intention of trading with Midas Resources or not, I have instructed my representatives to give this report out free. Call for your free copy at 1-800-686-2237. When investing, always proceed with caution. Again, call 1-800-686-2237. Exercise your legal right to trade metals privately. 1-800-686-2237. Are you suffering from EP? The symptoms include fraudulent charges to your credit card. Your subway card says it's empty, but you bought it yesterday. Someone's been in your hotel room, but the desk clerk says they only show you entering the room. These are signs of EP. Electronic pickpocketing. Payment cards, transit cards, even hotel room keys. Use a radio chip so you can just wave your card at the register, the turnstile, or your hotel room door. But what's convenient for you is also convenient for thieves. Waving scanners to electronically pickpocket you without even touching you. The good news is there's a cure. ID Stronghold has created leather wallets and clutches that have built-in EP protection. Layers of shielding material cleverly concealed in a beautiful leather wallet that stops the symptoms of EP. Go to IDStronghold.com now and get the cure. IDStronghold.com. Warning, ID Stronghold wallets could lead to feelings of safety and security, comfort in crowds, and euphoria. If you experience these emotions, immediately inform your friends and family about IDStronghold.com so they can feel better too. For over five years, you've been hearing about the Berkey guy, so you may know a few things about him. For example, you are well aware of the superior quality and effectiveness of Berkey water filters and accessories. But did you know the Berkeys have had independent lab tests done to prove just how effective they are? It's true, and he can email you the test results. Just visit GoBerkey.com. You may also know that the Berkey guy has helped tens of thousands of people get better prepared. Now here's something you may not know. GoBerkey.com has amazing specials and deals all the time on a wide variety of survival and preparedness products, most ready to ship same day. Visit the Berkey guy at GoBerkey.com and be sure to click the red Products on Sale Now button. You can always call toll-free 877-886-3653. Again, that's 877-886-3653. GoBerkey.com, home of the Berkey guy. Don't complain about your cable bill going up and up and up. Do something about it. Grab a pencil and jot down this special number. 1-855-905-MYTV. The more cable TV rates go up, the better digital satellite TV looks. 
Say goodbye to the cable guy and get more of your favorite channels in 100% digital quality for less money. Call 1-855-905-MY-TV. Sign up for packages starting as low as $19.99 and there's no equipment to buy. You get free HD TV upgrade, a free DVR upgrade, and free professional installation. You control what you watch when you watch it. Record your favorite shows, pause and rewind live TV, even skip the commercials. Watch local channels too. At just $19.99, what are you waiting for? Pull out your major credit or debit card. Call 1-855-905-MY-TV. 1-855-905-MY-TV. Say goodbye to the cable guy. Cut costs and get more. 1-855-905-MY-TV. 1-855-905-MY-TV. We'd like to hear from you. If you have any thoughts or comments about the Tech Night Owl Live, please get in touch at news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. Looking for past episodes? We've got hundreds at technightowl.com slash radio. That's technightowl.com slash radio. Or subscribe on iTunes. We have one more segment to spend with Daniel Aaron Dilger of Apple Insider talking about Windows 10, about screens, displays, tablets. Now, the one thing I see, other than restoring the start menu to Windows 10, adding some features from OS 10, such as virtual spaces, virtual desktops like spaces, stuff like that, you could basically stick with Windows 7 and get most of that. There are third-party virtual desktop utilities. There's no real reason to go to Windows 10 except that it is a free upgrade for people with regular licenses. If you have a business license where they pay an annual fee or something like that, it doesn't change. You buy a new PC, it doesn't change. And even then, there's some fudge factor even about the free upgrades because there is a charge that Microsoft has published for a home edition and a pro edition. They're driving people crazy with all this stuff. Yeah, they're still trying to sell Windows for money because that's how they make their money. They've, they've tried to get into the Apple business with the Surface and selling a device that's sort of like a laptop and sort of like an iPad. And they've had a measure of success with it. They're, they're selling some of them, but they're not anywhere on the level of the iPad or iPad plus Mac in terms of grabbing important market share. So where are they going to make their money? They have to make money selling services, renting software, and selling updates to Windows. They're a software company. Now, the other issue to consider here with regard to Windows 10 is supposedly there will, at least for the time being, no longer be these monolithic upgrades. It'll be gradual updates. So you have the situation in the past where a major new version of Windows comes out every three years, say. And that version comes out and IT managers will sit there and they'll test it to make sure it works before they decide to deploy it on their networks. But now you're having a situation here where you have a minor feature update every few months, I guess. Does that mean that every time you have one of these things, IT managers have to stop what they're doing and test it just like they test the monolithic upgrade. So maybe they're doing just as much work, but they're doing it more often. Well, the goal is to be more like what Google's doing with Android, where they've kind of given up on upgrading previous users 
and instead they kind of roll out some updates through the Play Store of trying to fix problems on a higher level instead of releasing an entire operating system. So, I mean, that's something that Microsoft could do. I don't know exactly what, because that hasn't happened yet, so we don't know exactly what these updates are going to look like. However, if you look at historically, Bill Gates one time said that, you know, we don't, we don't do updates to solve, to fix bugs. We do updates to roll out new features because that's what people buy. People don't pay for bugs. And they want to sell a new product. Yeah. So historically, Windows, you know, throughout the 90s and into the new millennium was sold as, you know, here's the next version of Windows and everybody has to run out and buy it because that was the most effective way to sell. And it also kicked off a new uh, demand cycle for PCs. You know, the new version of Windows out, you need to get a new PC to run this well. And so that worked well for Microsoft. And it really fell flat in the last several updates because, A, they botched the update. They gave people things they didn't want. So a lot of people that were wanting a new version of Windows got something that looked more like it was trying to imitate iOS. And, you know, the whole charms bar kind of thing and, and trying to turn things into a tablet that people didn't really want a tablet. They didn't want a two-in-one. They wanted a computer. Um, that failed to sell and also to create new cycles of people buying PCs. It's now been so long that a PC cycle has happened on the level of something, you know, something like Windows 2000 or when, you know, Windows XP that the market has moved on. That's not why the market has moved on. The market has moved on largely because portable devices have become so much more useful. So we all have a smartphone now. Many people are using tablets and there's not a need to have a computer in your home for a lot of people. There's a whole generation of kids who don't have desktop PCs. And so the market for rushing out and getting a new PC because a new version of Windows came out is not there anymore. So it doesn't really make sense for Microsoft to keep introducing new versions of Windows and trying to sell batches of Windows because there's not a market there anymore. They're now servicing the existing PCs that are there. And the market for new PCs is actually going down significantly. And it has been for years. Well, the market for new PCs is very much a replacement market. Yeah, largely. And they're replacing slower than, it's not just flat, it's decreasing slightly. Even after all this time, we only have a couple of minutes left. But I know I've gone to a few places in recent days with PC systems, such as a doctor's office, and they still have Windows XP. And the IRS is still using Windows XP, although it was falsely reported on a certain cable news network, a reality show network, I call it, that there is no support. Yes, the IRS has a special support contract with Microsoft for the version of Windows they use on their machines, which, again, is Windows XP. So it's not without support, but still. I mean, Microsoft has to be wondering now, after all these years, they've got tens and tens of millions of people on Windows XP, including a major agency of the U.S. federal government, and they will not upgrade. And every year, Apple is selling 60 to 70 million iPads to the most valuable segments of the PC industry. So you increasingly have people moving away from any form of PC to a mobile device, and it's running iOS. It's not running Windows. It doesn't need Windows. And Apple has a partner with IBM in accelerating that trend. So now you, you go, there's a lot of point-of-sale devices that are an iPad taking an order 
and you're using an iPad. You're not, you don't have a cash register that has a PC in it. So that's having a, an impact too. It sure is. So we'll have to see how well Windows 10 does or basically how well Microsoft's financials do. And I expect, I guess, home users or people who can get free Windows 10 upgrades, it's okay. I've tried it. I have it on my Parallels desktop virtual machine, and it's fine. But then we have this stupid browser called Edge, the replacement for Windows Explorer, Internet Explorer. And when I look at it and I think of the word Edge, I think, well, there's a rustler named Edge. There is a Ford car or is it an SUV called the Edge. Why do you call a browser Edge? I, I'm not sure where they got the name, but I think they're trying to distance themselves from Internet Explorer because Internet Explorer has developed such a reputation for being sort of outdated and behind the curve and slow. That's got to explain it. Daniel Aaron Dilger, please tell our listeners where to find more of the stuff you do. I write for Apple Insider and I'm on Twitter at at Daniel Aaron, E-R-A-N. And one of these days, he'll write again. You heard it first for Roughly Drafted Magazine when it's not April Fool's Day. Coming up next on the show, we have John Martellaro of the Mac Observer. Right now, Daniel, thanks for joining us on the Tech Night Out Live. Yeah, thanks for having me, Gene. Independently leading the way for the nation. Compelling talk. For every political persuasion, we are GCN. Neighbors, are you tired of dealing with a slow web hosting provider? Well, check out A2 Hosting and their screaming fast Swift server platform. They even have SSDs that load pages 300% faster than the competition. Ready to give your site a speed boost? Well, tell you what, neighbors. Head on over to a2hosting.com. That's A2, that's number two, a2hosting.com. Check out their Prime Hosting account. And get this, neighbors, they're even giving you an exclusive 25% off discount for all our listeners. 25%. And remember, their Guru Crew support team is standing by 24 7 365 days a year to answer any of your questions. Now, to get the discount, use the coupon code GENE when you check out. On the average, Americans work between 45 to 50 years hoping to build up enough wealth to retire and live out their golden years. Unfortunately, with taxation, the rising cost of food, energy, housing, and medical, many retirees are forced to live below the poverty line. Is this a flaw free enterprise, or is our monetary unit we call the Federal Reserve Note forcing us into perpetual debt, ensuring inflation and higher taxes? These questions and more can be answered by reading G. Edward Griffin's book, The Creature from Jekyll Island. Congressman Ron Paul states it's what every American needs to know about central bank power. A gripping adventure into the secret world of international banking cartel. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. I will give a silver dollar from the early 1900s to anyone who purchases this book. Call 1-800-686-2237 and order a copy today. It's critical that the public be made aware of the system. 
Call and order your copy today at 1-800-686-2237. That's 1-800-686-2237. Uvia needed financing to grow her restaurant business, but her bank simply didn't understand. I was frustrated. Uvia found on-deck business loans. On-deck did it for me. I called on Saturday, and I had $50,000 in my account on Monday morning. How about the terms? Incredibly easy. It doesn't mess with your cash flow. On-deck changed everything. This company, On Deck, is going to be there for me. Was it a good move? I'm looking to increase sales probably 30%. Been in business for at least a year with $100,000 plus in revenue? On Deck can get you $5,000 to $250,000 in as little as one business day. And they're A-plus rated with the Better Business Bureau. On Deck has opened up so many doors for me now. Truly, truly, the sky is the limit. I'm excited. Apply now at ondecklending.com or call 800 326 5430 800-326-5430 800-326-5430 Loan subject to lender approval. Are you suffering from EP? The symptoms include fraudulent charges to your credit card. Your subway card says it's empty, but you bought it yesterday. Someone's been in your hotel room, but the desk clerk says they only show you entering the room. These are signs of EP. Electronic pickpocketing. Payment cards, transit cards, even hotel room keys. Use a radio chip so you can just wave your card at the register, the turnstile, or your hotel room door. But what's convenient for you is also convenient for thieves. Waving scanners to electronically pickpocket you without even touching you. The good news is there's a cure. ID Stronghold has created leather wallets and clutches that have built-in EP protection. Layers of shielding material cleverly concealed in a beautiful leather wallet that stops the symptoms of EP. Go to IDStronghold.com now and get the cure. IDStronghold.com. Warning, ID Stronghold wallets could lead to feelings of safety and security, comfort in crowds, and euphoria. If you experience these emotions, immediately inform your friends and family about IDStronghold.com so they can feel better too. What's going to happen next? You never know when you're listening to the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg. We have John Martellaro of the Mac Observer joining us this week with a big agenda of stuff to talk about. So some of you will be hearing this show when Apple is presenting the keynote for the Worldwide Developers Conference. So things may be out of date real fast. So let's talk about Apple TV, which is not the first on this list. It's number five, but it should be number four because the watchword may be 4K. But, John, let <laughs> oh, me start. Okay, I haven't figured out what I just said, but if you can repeat <laughs> it for me, I'll be very grateful. But let's start with the main issue here. Will there be a new Apple TV? I mean, when you look at the illustrations of the press invite for the keynote event for the Worldwide Developers Conference, it looks like I'm seeing right in the center of it an Apple TV. But sure now there's a report like that it. Apple can't get it ready on time. What's the story? Well, you know, those rumors, this one sounds like it's pretty good, but it's still a rumor. It could be one of those controlled leaks where Apple's psychologically preparing us for a letdown. Um, I think it's a, a questionable rumor for a couple reasons. First of all, Apple's been working on this for a long, long time. And you'd think they'd get the hardware down by now. Second, if... They don't want to release the hardware until they've got content deals wrapped up. That's kind of a shame because we really need new hardware. 
And it's been three years since there's been an Apple TV. And I would be sad if Apple said, all right, we've got this great new hardware. It's got a 4K system in it. It uh, allows you to run apps. It's really golly gee whiz cool hardware. But we're not going to put it out there until we've got these content deals wrapped up with the networks. That just seems kind of fishy to me. How about you? I think they could possibly demonstrate it and say it's being worked on. We'll have it out in a month or two. Yeah. That could make sense. Yeah. That way, what is said is true. It won't be ready for sale. Yeah, the uh, blurb I saw that said something about how Apple didn't think the hardware was ready, that sounds kind of fishy to me. Apple can can do a lot of amazing things. I mean, they put 5K uh, iMacs out there. We have uh, watches out there that are astoundingly good, and we'll talk about that soon. So this little Apple TV, after three years, they're not happy with the state of the hardware? Oh, please. I'm, I'm kind of pressed to believe this rumor. But we'll see on Monday. Right. We could be wrong. We could be right. But let's talk about 4K. And the implication in the article that you wrote for the Mac Observer is pretty much this, that Apple is forced to add 4K. Why should they be forced to add it? Wouldn't that be a given? Well, I saw an article, I saw several articles floating around before I wrote this that suggested that it wouldn't have a 4K capability and that Apple didn't need to do that. And I was kind of taken aback by those because maybe it was an echo chamber, maybe people were reinforcing each other's views. But it just didn't sit right with me because, again, after three years, you would think that Apple would want to be coming out with something that was cool, that would delight and surprise us, that would be state-of-the-art, and would participate in the rest of the industry. I mean, we've been reading about, and I think I wrote about in the article, that there's a Blu-ray standard for 4K. What is it? It's UHD Blu-ray or something like that. And there'll be players available and, and content available around Christmas time. So you'll be able to connect a Blu-ray Ultra HD player to your Ultra HD TV and have a jolly good time on HDMI 2.0. So why would Apple to jump into this 4K frenzy with everybody moving towards it? You know, Walmart announced the other day, I don't have a link handy, but I heard that Walmart announced they weren't going to sell any 1080p TVs at Christmas time that were bigger than 32 inches. Because you can buy a, like a 32 or a 27-inch you know, 1080p TV for like $195 or $249 now. But anything bigger than 32 inches is kind of like a family room TV, like 40 inches or plus. You can't make any money on those. I mean, I was in Costco the other day, and I saw a 65-inch 1080p TV for $799. I mean, they're, they're just unloading them like hotcakes. And this is only June. So well, I this- know that you're seeing more and more models hit the streets. Vizio just introduced a brand new M series. And they start with the smallest set, which I think is 42 inches, for 4K, $500. And you have several models that are under 1000 There you go. And you expect that by the time you get to Christmas, they'll be 20% less. There's going to be a 4K frenzy in the fall. So for Apple to come out with a Apple TV now, 
that doesn't have 4K capability just seems like a slap in the face of the rest of the industry. It's like saying, well, no, we don't really think anybody needs that. We don't need to be state-of-the-art. We're going to have people who've been waiting for three years for an update, and we're going to come out with this fantastic new device, but it's just going to be yawn 1080p again. I don't believe it. I don't believe it either. And the more you look at it, you consider that supposedly the A8 chip, which is rumored for Apple TV, why not the A9? I don't know, but A8 already does 4K. Yes. You already have support for 4K displays on a number of MacBook Pro with Retina display models. Obviously, you've got the 5K iMac, where you could edit 4K video and have room for menu bars and palettes. So why not have 4K? It seems it's absurd. That's what I know. I read your article, too, and I agreed with you on it. It's something that Apple has to do. And I saw another article by Bob Cringely who said, well, it's going to be 4K capable, but Apple's not going to roll out the 4K until later, until they wrap up these content deals. And there is no reasoning in that article. I thought that article was dumb. And it was dumb because he's going on to say why Apple can't have 4K now, he doesn't really know. And why they're going to add it later and hold it like it's something important to hold when it's not because everybody's going 4K. There was very little logic I didn't in that article. logic in that at all, at all, either. Yeah, I'm right with you there, Gene. So I couldn't understand it, which is why... I was thinking that maybe we needed Macalope to come up with some kind of <laughs> really gosh golly gee whiz phrase. Well, why can't you have 4K now? Because the the fiddle in my cockamook is going to be mixed up with my zipum. <laughs> I might be cursing in a foreign language here, folks. So you better look it up because our network does not allow using bad language. And I may have insulted somebody in some unknown dialect in Sanskrit or something. And now they'll say I'm insulting people with Sanskrit. But anyway... I think there'll be a 4K. I think it's possible Apple will display the new Apple TV for one reason and one reason only, even if it's not available, and that is to get developers going with the Apple TV SDK. Here's what's coming out. Here's the SDK. Within a month or two, you'll buy it. Sure. And it won't be uh, made obsolete right away. I mean, wouldn't it be disingenuous of Apple to come out with one that didn't have 4K? Now and then you say, oh, well, I need a new one. I, I don't have a, a third generation anymore, for example. I just have a second generation. There's certain things now it can't do. So uh, you buy one of those, and then at Christmas time, Apple says, oh, well, your money was probably spent. Now, it's only 99 bucks, but that's still being kind of callous with people's money. And, and people like to think they're looking ahead and making good investments in Apple equipment. All right. So you're going along with the fact that this will still be $99, a new model. Yeah, I think they'll have to jump it up a little bit to to handle the extra technology of 4K and the HDMI 2 chip and uh, and the and the and, you know HDMI 2.0 HDCP encryption and uh, the A8 processor. So yeah, I think they'll go back to 99 bucks. All right, I can live with that. By the way, somebody pointed out to me there's a note on the Apple product page that says Apple TV starting at $79, Aha. which opens the door to that. The door is open to a new Apple TV. We expect it to be fleshed out, possibly by the time you hear the show. With John Martellaro of the Mac Observer, I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live.
not just an alternative to the mainstream media. We're the premier independent talk radio network. We are GCN. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that too in Graphic Converter. Also print catalogs. Convert from so many formats I can't even list them. Download now to see if Graphic Converter is good for you, like one and a half million other users. Guess what? You could save money when you buy Graphic Converter. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL to get a special price for Graphic Converter. Go to LemkeSoft.com. That's L-E-M-K-E-Soft.com. LemkeSoft.com. L-E-M-K-E-Soft.com. Yuvia needed financing to grow her restaurant business, but her bank simply didn't understand. I was frustrated. Yuvia found on-deck business loans. On-deck did it for me. I called on Saturday, and I had $50,000 in my account on Monday morning. How about the terms? Incredibly easy. It doesn't mess with your cash flow. On-deck changed everything. This company, on-deck, is going to be there for me. Was it a good move? I'm looking to increase sales probably 30%. Been in business for at least a year with 100000 plus in revenue, On Deck can get you 5000 to $250,000 in as little as one business day. And they're A-plus rated with the Better Business Bureau. On Deck has opened up so many doors for me now. Truly, truly, the sky is the limit. I, I'm excited. Apply now at ondecklending.com or call 800-326-5430. 800-326-5430. Loan subject to lender approval. Extend your life with Extendovite. Hey, neighbor, what are you doing digging? You had a heart attack last year. Oh, I know. I was told no more hard labor. Then why are you digging? Well, I've been taking Extendovite. It's been approved to help my heart. Extendovite? Is that a new drug? No, not a drug. It's uh, more like an herbal combination made from garlic and cayenne. Herbal? How can that help? Well, actually, we've taken herbs for thousands of years, and Extendivite is doing the job for me. Does your doctor know about Extendivite? Yeah, my doctor knows, and he said it seems to be working for you, so don't stop taking it. I feel great taking Extendivite. I don't want to stop. To order, call 1-877-928-8822. That's 1-877-928-8822. Or visit our website at heartdrop.com. Extend your life with Hi, John Hubner from Midas Resources. Are you tired of watching your hard-earned assets dwindle away? As government spending is out of hand and the Federal Reserve is creating in excess of $20 billion a week, are you tired of stockbrokers gambling away your hard-earned money? Is this market a setup for a crash greater than 1987? Too many of today's policies resemble those that led to the collapse of 1929. This is John Hubner, and that was me in 2007. 
And we all know what happened when the subprime credit bubble burst. By March 2009, the dollar lost 50% of its value. The entire U.S. banking system was on the verge of collapsing. Like all financial problems of the past, is history about to repeat itself? Call me, John Hubner, at 1-800-686-2237, extension 129, before it's too late to protect yourself. Will the oncoming catastrophe take all private IRAs, 401ks with it? There is a way to protect your hard-earned assets. Call me, John Hubner, at 1-800-686. 2237 extension 129. What are you listening to? The Tech Night Isle Live with Gene Steinberg. What's going to happen next? You never know. We got something for you for those who want us to get rid of the network ads on our show. Here's what you do. Join Tech Night Owl Plus. That's plus.technightowl.com, P-L-U-S dot The deal is five bucks a month, 50 a year, 175 for five years. And what you get is the ad-free version of the show. Better quality audio. Now all my guests have better quality mics. And we have the latest and greatest versions of Audio Hijack from Rogue Amoeba, who didn't pay for that announcement, by the way. And we're doing great things with that, so therefore you might as well take advantage of it. Plus.technightout.com. With John Martellero of the Mac Observer, we're going through his list. In our last segment, we talked about Apple TV, whether we'll see one at the WWDC, which may happen by the time you hear the show, or whether Apple will hold off that announcement, or they'll just say, here it is coming in a month or two. All right. We all know that the last version of OS X, Yosemite, was a little bit eccentric, maybe because it's named after that cartoon character. No, it wasn't named after the cartoon character. <laughs> but the cartoon character is eccentric, and possibly things just went awry. So, or bagel, whatever your choice, bagel or awry. But that's a horrible pun, isn't it? All right, so with OS X... 10.11 or whatever it's going to be called, John, what's Apple going to do to fix the problems? What ailed it? One of the problems that people have been having, of course, is networking with Wi-Fi. And Apple's tried mightily to uh, make the new networking demon called Discovery D work. And I suspect, but I don't have deep knowledge, that Discovery D was essential for AirDrop. People have had troubles I've never really had a lot of success with uh, AirDrop. I've never had any Wi-Fi issues or networking issues. But a lot of people have. Too many people have reported networking issues. From what I've seen, Apple's going to return in, in 10.10.4 is a pathway to 10.11 to MDNS Responder, a time-proven Unix networking software system. So that's kind of an embarrassment for Apple. As I mentioned with AirDrop, uh, I never got it to work reliably until iOS 8.3 and OS 10 10.10.3. Before that, AirDrop just didn't work, or it worked occasionally and sporadically. So th there's some problems there. And, and while iTunes isn't tied to Mac OS 10, uh, iTunes 12, uh, as Kelly Gumont at the Mac Observer says, should be fed to a wood chipper. I agree. There's been an enormous amount of criticism of iTunes 12. There's been a lot of people who upgraded to Yosemite who had sort of mysterious and quirky issues. I'd say the ratio is about 10 to 1 from my readers. 
I got a note the other day from a reader who said he was having trouble with Mavericks on his a little bit older um, MacBook, and he has upgraded to Yosemite and everything went well, but he was the vast exception. So with all of this heritage of problems that people have been having with Yosemite over the last year and features being half-baked and, and features that we haven't really used, I, th- I think, are not that good. Like, for example, handoff. I'm looking at you, handoff. I can't get One, handoff to work reliably yeah. at all. I mean, so, I set it up with equipment that's compatible. Yeah. A Mac and an iPad. And for a, the longest time, it worked fine. I keep getting this icon on my phone that says there's a message for me to continue working on, but there isn't. Against this background, the specter of Craig Federici, who's a wonderful fellow and a great presenter and a great technologist, to come out and ignore that all and not recognize it and say everything's cool, everything's wonderful and rosy here in Camelot, and we're going to proceed forward apace with a whole flock of new features and roll out some jazzy stuff, people are going to just roll their eyes and say, hey, how about we just get a version of Mac OS X that just works? Please, please, can we have that? And um, my readers are, are, are 10 to 1 agreeing with me saying, yeah, I want an OS that's stable. I want a, like a Snow Leopard reference release where everything's been tuned up and fixed and it's reliable and I can upgrade to this new operating system with confidence and enthusiasm instead of dread about what's going to go wrong and features that are really important. Now, Apple's got a problem. If Craig Federici comes out and says, well, we're just going to do uh, Yosemite um, reference release, fix up all the bugs. Uh, by the way, some people think it's going to be Mojave or Sequoia, and I, I kind of go along with that. There's no cartoon character that's annoying that can be attached to it. <laughs> yeah. So, so for him to come out and be kind of deadpan and not be enthusiastic and say, well, you know, I only need five minutes to tell you I'm going to do this and this and we're going to fix these things. That would be a dud in the WWDC keynote because the press is there. People were watching on streaming video. Also, yeah. Yeah. Philip Schiller promised all those new technologies in the press release for WWDC. That's right. That's right. So there has to be sort of a happy medium here where he walks the fine line of saying, yeah, we're going to fix all these things and here's what we're going to do. And we got MDNS responder back and we figured out the problems with handoff and airdrop. We've got these new security issues like rootless security and everything's going to be really, really better with this OS. Okay, now, cool. Here's some really cool features that we've added that you've needed all along and we've thought deeply about. And you're going to have a lot of fun with these. That would be cool. I would like to see that. And I'll be looking for something of that flavor. But for him to not acknowledge the problems and to just f- go forward with what looks like a jamboree of things that daze us and, and annoy us, uh, I don't think is the right approach. I'm looking for sort of a middle ground. Enthusiasm and fun, but also an awareness and self-confidence that they're going to fix some of these problems. They could do it humorously, but it should be addressed. By the way, for those wondering what Spectre means, the only definition of Spectre that I accept is this one. Special Executive for Counterintelligence, (laughs) Terrorism, (laughs) Revenge, and Extortion. Mr. Bond? What, November 12th? The Bond movie comes out the 12th of November or something like that? Well... Can't wait. Can't wait. Yeah, the next movie is called Spectre. It's directed as the last one by Sam Mendes. The release date in Europe will be November 6th. So it'll be a couple of weeks later in the U.S. Okay. 
All right. You know, it sounds like it's got a, a great little story here. A lot of things will, in terms of the staffing, the cast, the production crew is going to be the same as Skyfall. I don't know who's going to do the song. I mean, Adele did great with the other. Why are we talking about this when we're talking about the next version of OS X? The key here is to make it better, to make it smoother, to make it reliable. Maybe call it handoff or continuity 2.0. So that is one way to sort of admit that we had to fix something, but make it look positive. Well, it's a natural evolution. There you go. That would work. Marketing speak. Yeah, or marketing they're, they're, specters, depending well, on the point of view. What I'm worried about is that Apple's become too large and, and they can't deal with its own momentum and it just has to charge forward and not acknowledge some of these little issues because it's not politically expedient. And, and the other problem that I, I, I know about is that Apple executives have engineers on call and if they have a problem with their Macintosh, you know, an engineer comes running over and sits down with their Mac and fixes it up and hands it back to Tim Cook or Phil Schiller and says, okay, here you go, fixed. Because you can't have problems impeding the conduct of the company's business. So I think the executives sometimes get a little bit uh, isolated from the customer experiences. I mean, if Tim Cook were fighting with his gold MacBook every day and being annoyed and things didn't get done and he couldn't conduct the company business, there'd be a problem. Somebody would get hauled into his office. So it's good for Tim Cook to you know be able to get his work done, but it doesn't exactly mirror the experiences of a lot of people out there. Of course, he gets a lot of email, too. It's filtered into him if it's good and important. But still, um, higher, the higher level you go in the executive world, and these engine, Apple executives are pretty savvy, technically, um, I know Phil Schiller's pretty good technically. He's been with Apple for a long, long time, and he knows everything about everything. But still, there's a, there is a tendency to be kind of Pollyannish about it and say, "Yeah, Yosemite's great, and it's working good for me." And these are edge cases, and they're one off, and people just like to whine. But I don't think that's happening with Yosemite this time. I think it's definitely, like you said, a quirky release that that's, drives people crazy in unexpected ways. And speaking of unexpected ways. When are we going to get a demon, a monitor in OS X that kind of looks around the system and checks on things and looks for problems and analyzes the, the processes that are going on and looks looks for out-of-kilter events and sort of tries to figure out what's going on so that instead of just wondering and throwing your hands up and saying, it doesn't work and I don't know why, you can go to um, a window and call up this OS 10 monitor for what it's worth and see what it's thinking. I'll tell you what, we'll find out more of what this person is thinking, what I'm thinking. Coming up next, I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. A little right, a little left, but always independent-minded. The Genesis Communications Network, GCN. Paid non-attorney spokesperson Adam Pulaski of the Pulaski Law Firm with principal office in Houston, Texas is the attorney responsible for the content of this ad. This ad is not legal advice and the choice of a lawyer should not be based solely upon advertisement. Services may not be available in all states. Attention Zarelto users. If you or a loved one took Zarelto and suffered a serious bleeding event, you may be entitled to financial compensation. Zarelto is a popular prescription blood thinner used to prevent blood clots and protect patients from strokes. These serious bleeding events have led to numerous cases of hospitalization and even death. Phone lines are open 24-7. Call 800-261-0937. That's 800-261-0937. 
Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Haven't experienced yogurt until you've tried a Mossy, embodying health and flavor in a true whole milk, green-fed dairy beverage. Every sip pays homage to our old-world cows and the ancient culturing methods their milk benefits from. With over 30 probiotics, a Mossy's undeniably nutritious, refined, cultured sensation bolsters your health and awakens your passion for dairy. A Mossy's so good, and you need to try it. Contact your Longevity distributor or call 877-878-4203 or go to GCNteam.com. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Tech Night Out Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. We have John Martellaro of the Mac Observer, who will tell us what he's thinking, like an OS X monitor, to keep track of things, put up messages, warn you about stuff that's going bad so you don't find out after it's happened, after the barn door is closed. Yeah, it's always been a fantasy of mine. The operating system we use is a little more introspective about itself. I mean, all we have basically still in 2015 is code, air trapping, P-list scanning, um, security attention to code, but we don't really have code that analyzes code that um, I know of in Mac OS X. Um, I'd like to see software tools that could be built that would analyze the code itself. Now, I know there's performance tools like Shark and other performance tools that you can use to look at how much time subroutines are spending in various parts of the code. I've seen demos of Shark where it will highlight a section of a subroutine and show you exactly where the processor is spinning its wheels and what's going wrong. So the next step after that would be code that's a little smarter about the conduct of OS X, what isn't working, what's causing a problem. And if we got a, a, a reference state that out of the box, things are doing swimmingly, and now the user installs a bunch of stuff. Now, I know we have made great strides with things like signed kernel extensions. If it's not digitally signed by Apple, kernel extensions not going to load. This is a great step forward. But that also suggests a sort of a reference situation, a checkpoint, if you will, like Parallels uses where you know what a good operating system looks like and what should be happening. And then if something starts changing, the operating system monitor goes and looks and says, well, what's happened lately? Well, he installed this, he installed that. Maybe I should sort of check my sources and see if there's any issues with that. You know, it could come back someday and say, well, you know, you get in a spinning beach ball because this software is conflicting with that software. And why don't you try this? 
We need something along those lines. I'm, I'm sort of getting tired of the days where things go wrong and nobody knows what's going on. And they, and they say, well, try reinstalling the operating system or try a safe boot or do this. Operating systems are getting too large and too complicated and too mysterious for the age-old ideas of hold the shift key down and reboot, see what happens, cross your fingers, you know, suppress some extensions, hope for the best. We can do better. I'll tell you what, we'll hear more about OS 10.11, possibly by the time you hear this. Moving on, it's time, you say, John, to reinvigorate the iPad. How does Apple do that? Yeah, you know, we have a problem with um, iPad. Apple doesn't make a big deal out of it, doesn't say, well, you know, we have a problem. Tim Cook in in the last earnings report kind of alluded to the fact that, you know, well... You know, it is what it is, which was kind of uh, accepting of the situation that there's some cannibalization going on, that the upgrade cycle for uh, iPad didn't turn out to be as fast as maybe they hoped it would be. The technology of the iPad is not changing as fast as the iPhone. Uh, and, And in many ways, maybe it shouldn't or can't because, you know, the phone is always with us. It's in our pocket. We need Apple Pay. We need uh, notifications. We need all the the latest features of the phone because it's always in our pocket. But the iPad kind of sits on the the table, and we don't use it for phone calls in general. We don't use it for photography in general, although it can be. It can be a very good sextant device if you've got the right astronomy software. But the phone is where the camera is, and the phone is where the audio is, and the phone is where... Uh, Apple Pay is uh, prime, and so all the energy goes into the phone. By by nature, things have kind of panned out in the world of the iPad. It started off like gangbusters. It was a great idea. Steve Jobs sat on the couch and showed us the iPad, and we went, oh, yeah, yeah, we really do need that. But But now it's kind of filled the bill, and everybody who has one, everybody who wants one has one, and the the question is now, how do you breathe some life into it? And one of the problems I see is, is that when the iPad was much more primitive when it first came out, it made a great deal of sense for the iPad to act like a phone so that it was familiar. But when you have bigger screens and more power and more things going on, it's crazy to try to manage the home screens the way you manage a phone. I mean, have you ever tried to really seriously reconfigure all your pages with the apps you have to go to a mac and plug it into a mac and then use the itunes tool to to reconfigure your pages why can't you just say press a button open up a new page between three and four everything above four shifts to the right now i have a new page in the middle and i can start putting apps in there uh why can't i have a split screen where i can um edit something and look at a website while I'm writing an article and do research and write at the same time instead of having to stop my writing, get out of that app, go over to Safari, do my research, cut and paste, such as it is, which isn't great in my view, and then go back over to the to the writing tool. You'd like to be able to hope that the iPad would mature, the operating system would get richer and more complex and more capable. And part of that is having a bigger screen so that you can do more. And a bigger screen means that you, you can have more interaction. I'm very aware of the sandboxing and, and how you want to try to protect the customer. And you, want to, you don't want to have apps stepping on each other's data. And 
and so on. But Apple's introduced extensions and, sh- and, and facilities within iOS 8 that allow better interaction. And that's just got to continue, and it's got to reflect that capability on a say a, a 12.9 inch screen and 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 how does the 12.9 inch screen fit in well for example magazines i find it really hard to to read a regular sized magazine on a 9.7 inch screen pdfs are hard to manage and other formats are kind of weird and awkward for for the military for pilots who who need bigger maps uh, and the military always needs bigger maps for presentations. When you want to be able to sit in a, in a room and so for some reason the projector's not working, be great to take your 12-inch, 13-inch iPad and kind of swivel it around and show it to the audience. And that one's big enough that people could actually sit around it and uh, and view a presentation in the round. So that's just a few examples of oh, and point of sale uh, terminals um, and and presentations in department stores where you want to catch people's attention and you've got running videos and things like that. There's lots of uses for a larger screen iPad. And I I think that would reflect the growth of the iPad, the development and the maturity of it, more capability, invite a, a bit of a vectoring away from just being a giant iPhone screen and that could, I think, breathe some life into the iPad sales and get it back on the growth path. So maybe we'll see with iOS 9 more iPad-specific stuff. I hope so. I hope so. Something has to be done. Now, the Apple's kind of munging around, you know, working on different ways to give it a, a renewed vigor, um, the work with uh, IBM and business uses of the of the tablet. Uh, we've heard rumors at WWC that there will be a split-screen version of uh, iOS, iOS 9, like you said. So, you know, Apple's kind of nibbling, trying to figure out, you know, what, what is this animal? Why aren't people upgrading? What's the business case? What's, what's the model for the development of the iPad? It's not worth investing a lot of money in the camera. Um you know, people are not going to carry an iPad into a grocery store and use Apple Pay. So in, in some ways, the, the platform has kind of lost its way a little bit or it doesn't have the same vigor and use cases. And that's up to Apple to figure out, you know, where we need to go. Well, the thing to bear in mind also is that the iPhone 6 Plus kind of took some of the bottom out of the tablet market because some people, especially in Asia, they buy that as a standalone single device for all-purpose computing. So it's a small tablet and a large phone. It's a good compromise. That's a very good point. Yes. Excellent. And that's another problem. I know. And we have more excellent points for me, or maybe even <laughs> from John Martellaro. In our next segment, I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. <laughs> Yeah. 
Making the right decisions is a challenge to investors. Are we going to see economic growth slide into a recession or at worst depression? Hi, Ted Anderson from Midas Resources. We all know when a company acts irresponsibly, divesting ourselves in a move towards safety is prudent. When the market becomes volatile, U.S. Treasuries are a safe haven. But what do you do when the U.S. government overextends itself and spends beyond its means? Many investors are turning toward gold as a common sense alternative to traditional paper investments. Midas Resources has put together a powerful book titled 10 Reasons to Own Gold, discussing costs, benefits, risks, featuring full-color illustrations, weights, and measures. The book is free and can be yours by calling 800-686-2237. Paper investments are dwarfed by gold's 6,000-year history. Discover how gold may be right for you and your IRA by calling 800-686-2237. Whether buying or it's time for you to sell, the book is free. Call 800-686-2237. Why do over 50% of North Americans suffer from some form of chronic ailment? Could it be due to a toxic overload? It's time to take back your life. Get the lead out as well as the cadmium, mercury, and calcium. Extendivite is a garlic cayenne supplement with five other herbs that acts like a natural Drano, cleaning out the stored toxins, restoring your energy and youthfulness that we've lost. If you would like to live your life free of sickness, pain, or fear, then Extendivite is for you. Available in either capsules or liquid, you too can see why Extendivite is the number one heart drop available. To order, call 1-877-928-8822. That's 1-877-928-8822. Or visit our website at heartdrop.com. Extend your life with Yuvia needed financing to grow her restaurant business, but her bank simply didn't understand. I was frustrated. Yuvia found on-deck business loans. On-deck did it for me. I called on Saturday, and I had $50,000 in my account on Monday morning. How about the terms? Incredibly easy. It doesn't mess with your cash flow. On-deck changed everything. This company, on-deck, is going to be there for me. Was it a good move? I'm looking to increase sales probably 30%. Been in business for at least a year? with 100000 plus in revenue, On Deck can get you 5000 to $250,000 in as little as one business day. And they're A-plus rated with the Better Business Bureau. On Deck has opened up so many doors for me now. Truly, truly, the sky is the limit. I, I'm excited. Apply now at ondecklending.com or call 800-326-5430. 800-326-5430. Loan subject to lender approval. If the the IRS has garnished your paycheck or seized money from your bank account. You need to get professional tax help now. Fast action is required to put a halt to these aggressive IRS collection tactics. You can count on the knowledgeable team of tax professionals at Walland Associates. With over 30 years of experience, Walland Associates has settled the tax problems of thousands of taxpayers for a small fraction of what they owed. For a free face-to-face consultation, call 1-800-425-4610 to put a wall between you in the IRS. 1-800-425-4610 or look for us on the web at wallandassociates.net. We solve tax problems. If you hire Walland Associates today, you'll never have to talk to the IRS again. To stop the levies and seizures today, take action now. Call Walland Associates at 1-800-425-4610. Wall and Associates.
Associates, 1-800-425-4610. Based on actual cases, results may vary, not a solicitation for legal services. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, please send it to news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. If you'd like to discuss today's show with fellow Night Owls, visit our community forums at forum.technightowl.com. That's forum.technightowl.com. More stuff from John Martellaro of the Mac Observer talking about how Apple may finally get around to doing things with the iPad to boost sales. It's not dead yet. Glad to know that. Let's move on with other topics here. All right. You didn't get an Apple Watch the first day or the second day or the second week. (laughs) But you got an Apple Watch. You ordered it like three seconds after it went on sale and you waited six weeks. Well, what happened was is that I was up at 1 a.m. Denver time uh, with everybody else on the TMO team. And historically, buying an, an iPhone at 1 in the morning when they come out, I had had better luck with the uh, Apple Store app on my iPad. And so I was sitting there with the iPad uh, Mini 3, which is capable of Apple Pay. And I was going to tap twice and say Apple Pay and tap it and ship it. But it didn't work because I couldn't connect with that app. That was unusual for me. And I have a pretty good network. So after about 30 seconds, I said, you know, this isn't going to work. I'm going to go back to the old way of doing things I got on my Mac. I should have been more ready. And went to the Apple store on my Mac, picked out the watch I wanted. And, uh, of course, when you do a credit card, you have to enter the CCV code off your credit card each time you make a purchase to verify. So that burned up about 30 or 40 seconds. And I think I paid a, a dear price <laughs> for wasting those 30 or 40 seconds. I got my email at 1.04 in the morning confirming my purchase of a, of a steel Apple Watch with a leather loop. The prediction was I would receive it about four to five weeks later. The window was May 13th to May 27th. And that was in line with a lot of other people from what I read. The sport watches were shipping first. And a lot of the guys on the TMO team who ordered uh, the sport watches got theirs uh, shortly after April 24th. So I was kind of uh, bummed out that um, I was going to be leaking into May. But on the other hand, that window of May 13th to May 27th was something that a lot of people experienced. And I accepted it when I ordered the watch. And guess what? On May 13th, I got my credit card charged and the Apple Watch shipped and it arrived uh, overnight on the 14th of May, which was the second day of the window. So I would say that considering that that was what I agreed to at the purchase time, Apple almost completely underpromised and overdelivered on that. So I can't complain too much. All right. So you're living with this thing days. Now, Apple released a software update for Apple Watch 1.0.1. Did you see before and after, or did you get it with the new software? No, I got it with the original software, 1.0.0. I was averaging about 64% remaining charge each night uh, since I installed 1.0.1, which I must say was kind of annoying. It took me a better part of a half an hour, I know, because... I started the upgrade process to 101 of watch OS 
about the time a, a news show started on the half hour. And it was pretty much almost the hour before I was up and running. It was a very long and slow process. It seemed to take longer than when I first got the watch out of the box and, and paired it with the phone and set it up. Apple's got to do something to speed up that upgrade process. The one thing now, I did am I notice, taking in here that the upgrade management is largely done from the iPhone, and maybe that's why it takes so long? Yeah, I think there's a lot of work being done on the phone and at Bluetooth speeds connecting to the to the watch and upgrading the operating system and doing checking sums check and everything. It, it's just it just takes too long. I mean, I've upgraded my phone in you know, a completely new operating system in what ten minutes or so, but thirty minutes to upgrade a watch. Wow! But one of the things I did notice afterwards was is that I was getting better battery life. Uh, one of the things we think is attributed to that is that Apple, the Apple Watch 101 doesn't measure your pulse quite as often. Uh, but I think there were probably other optimizations in there that contributed. And so I would say now with 101, I'm averaging about 70 to 75% remaining charge each night. Now, I must say that, that Dave Hamilton and I had this philosophy that we were going to lock down our watch and not have it do a whole lot so that it didn't pester us and get out of control and seem like an annoyance. Dave Hamilton wrote an article about that, being ruthless with controlling the notifications and controlling the apps that you install. You can go too crazy out of the box and start getting lots of notifications and checking the watch a lot and running a lot of apps, and guess what? You're going to be down to 20 or 30% battery life each night. So we didn't do that, and my philosophy was to slowly expand its capability. And I'm doing that. I've installed the PCALC app and um, I'm letting more notifications come through judiciously. But I'm still averaging 70% at night. So it amuses me that there were so many people who were who were saying, writers who were anti-Apple, were, were saying even before the watch shipped, before it was in the hands of anybody, that its battery wasn't going to get you through the day. Well, that's how they know things. But isn't that always <laughs> true about Apple? A new Apple product comes out, and they will tell you chapter and verse without ever touching one. Forget about using one. Why it's destined to fail, like in this case. I think we have to agree, though, that the standard installation of Apple Watch puts too many notifications on your wrist. And that was yeah. a source of complaints. Apple gets too enthusiastic about that. They want you to experience all the things that are good. And they don't want you. They don't want to turn anything off. It, it's sort of like every time you do an upgrade on your phone, whether you had Bluetooth turned off or not. After you do an OS upgrade on your phone, Bluetooth will be on, and that's because Apple doesn't want you to miss all the goodness of iBeacon and all those other things. You know, you there used to the be store. a time. It hasn't happened for a long time, where I would turn off Wi-Fi on my iMac because I use a wired Ethernet connection. I don't need Wi-Fi except maybe for some location stuff for certain sites, which I don't care about. So I turn it off and I run some kind of software update and it turns the darn thing on mm -hmm. again. It hasn't happened lately. Well, I've done Apple Pay on my watch. I had an interesting experience with that. You have to double click the side button very quickly. It's a very fast double tap. If you click the side button once, you get your favorites. And so here I was in Sprouts Farmer's Market, and I was gleefully getting ready to buy something with my Apple Watch. And so I clicked the side button fairly rapidly. 
I click it once and the favorites rolls in. I click it again and the favorites rolls out. And I go, well, what's going on here? And I couldn't quite get the hang of it. So I, there was a woman behind me glaring at me like, what is this joker doing? So I had to pull out my phone and I had to touch my finger to the Touch ID home button. And she's rolling her eyes going, all right, when is this guy going to pay and get out of my way? <laughs> Oh, the embarrassment, the shame of having to use your phone to pay with Apple Pay. I I used Apple Pay once on an iPhone 6. I had to get pretty close to the checkout machine, the little credit card processor. It takes a second, then you get a check mark and a beep. And it tells you, okay, it's done. But it's not finished because that's equivalent to swiping the card. You then have to push 97 different options. Okay, credit or debit or this, that, and the other thing. Is that what you want to pay? You sure you don't want to contribute to this place? More to come. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night How Live. We are the premier independent talk radio network. The Genesis Communications Network. G-C-N. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that too in Graphic Converter. Also print catalogs. Convert from so many formats i can't even list them download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users guess what you could save money when you buy graphic converter use the coupon code night owl use the coupon code night owl to get a special price for graphic converter go to lemkesoft.com that's l-e-m-k-e soft.com lemkesoft.com l-e-m-k-e soft.com we the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit, and carting to a private bank, having it led back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Ted Anderson, I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. There are hundreds of silver products on the market today, but there's nothing like the astonishing health benefits of the multi-patented One Silver Solution. Boost your immune system at a great price with our Silver Solution Liquid, starting at $12.95 a bottle, now available in regular and extra strength. That's half the price of the leading competitors. Call 844-USE-SILVER for your free catalog or go to OneSilverSolution.com. OneSilverSolution.com. There is only one silver solution. Are you suffering from EP? The symptoms include fraudulent charges to your credit card. Your subway card says it's empty, but you bought it yesterday. Someone's been in your hotel room, but the desk clerk says they only show you entering the room. These are signs of EP. Electronic pickpocketing. Payment cards, transit cards, even hotel room keys. Use a radio chip so you can just wave your card at the register, the turnstile, or your hotel room door. But what's convenient for you is also convenient for thieves. Waving scanners to electronically pickpocket you without even touching you. The good 
views is there's a cure. ID Stronghold has created leather wallets and clutches that have built-in EP protection, layers of shielding material, cleverly concealed in a beautiful leather wallet that stops the symptoms of EP. Go to IDStronghold.com now and get the cure. IDStronghold.com. Warning, ID Stronghold wallets could lead to feelings of safety and security, comfort in crowds, and euphoria. If you experience these emotions, immediately inform your friends and family about IDStronghold.com so they can feel better too. Gold. It's like nothing else on Earth. From the Romans through the Renaissance, from the Industrial Age to the Space Age, gold has weathered the test of time. For 6,000 years, gold has remained the ultimate store of wealth. According to the World Gold Council and the U.S. Mint, demand is at an all-time high. The stage is being set for the re-emergence of gold as the common-sense alternative to a fiat paper currency that gets weaker every day. Midas Resources is proud to offer the hard-hitting report that arms you with the truth you need to protect you and your family from the Fed's plans for your hard-earned money. Don't gamble with your future. Call Midas Resources today and ask for your free copy of As Good As Gold. Call 1-800-686-2237 for the report the Fed hopes you'll never see. As Good As Gold can be yours by calling 800-686-2237. If you have ever thought about owning gold, you must read this report. Call Midas today at 800-686-2237. You're listening to the Tech Night Owl Live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next. We have John Martellaro of the Mac Observer. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live with an agenda. And let me ask you then. Apple Watch. If you weren't working for Mac Observer, you weren't following the tech business, just a regular guy of, you know, whatever your age is, and you're, say, semi-retired, would you buy an Apple Watch? Absolutely. Absolutely. One of the reasons I, there's two reasons for it. One is, is that my, when I'm home, uh, working in the office, my iPhone tends to sit on the desk in this uh, upright holder. And then I get up and I walk around and I'm somewhere else in the house and I miss a phone call on my iPhone. That doesn't happen to me when I've got the watch on. The second thing is, is that it's not monitoring my steps and my miles when it's sitting stagnant on my desk. When I have the Apple Watch on, it tracks everything I'm doing, reports all my steps, which is thousands a day. And then it syncs up with the phone. And then I use this wonderful little app called Fitport, which is much better than Apple's health app, which can, with permission, extract data from the health app and show me my miles and my steps. And I really like the ability of the watch to monitor that. Third, I was sitting in the living room the other day. And of course, as I said, the phone was in my office. I got a phone call from a friend and my phone lit up. My Apple watch lit up. And I was actually able to carry on a short conversation. Now, the quality is not that great, but I was actually able to talk Dick Tracy style on my Apple Watch with my friend via the phone, which was 30 or so feet away. So for those reasons, I would have an Apple Watch. Plus, it's just an awesome, beautiful timepiece. Well, I still have a guest watch. I'm still thinking about it. The only problem with the guest watch is even though I've replaced the battery, sometimes it just stops dead for a day. 
gives it up, goes to sleep, and comes back up again. It's just a normal semi-chronograph kind of watch from 10, 12 years ago. Probably needs to be replaced, whether I should replace it with something that is 10 times the cost of this one, I don't know. I do have a couple of beefs about the Apple Watch. Well, let's beef it up. Well, first of all, for a timepiece that Tim Cook brags about being so accurate time-wise, within 50 milliseconds of true time, there is no watch face or mode that gives you hours, minutes, and seconds digitally that I could find. You'd expect the astronomy app to give you hours, minutes, and digital seconds. The second thing that annoys me is is that there's a 17-second or so display timeout to conserve battery power. You should be able to control that. If you're trying to uh, time how long it takes a Mac to boot up, the display is going to go blank just about the time you're trying to do the timing. There's a stopwatch mode. And when you're doing something with a stopwatch, if you're timing somebody, like if you're at a race and you're trying to, to your coach and you're, you're timing one of your athletes or something, you don't want the stopwatch to blank out on you. So I hope in the next version of the operating system, Apple, with all the feedback they're getting from customers, you know, the internal OS feedback mechanism, they're seeing how the battery life is panning out. I think they'll be confident enough in the next version to say, okay, we'll let the user have control over the timeout period. 15 seconds, 30 seconds, a minute, two minutes, something like that. And the other thing is, is that it's very hard to demo your watch to a friend. I was with a friend the other day and I you know, touched the face and I show him the watch face and he's ogling at it. And then just about the time we're looking at something interesting, it goes, doink, black face. It doesn't help a lot to influence your friends and show them your watch when it keeps blanking out on you. you go, we got to get control of that. The third thing I've noticed is, is that when you're using Apple Pay on the Apple Watch, uh, at least for the credit card I use, um, it doesn't show me a log of my payments. Of course, when I buy something on my phone with Apple Pay, the credit card I use shows me a log of my payments and I, I, I get a notice right away, a notification. So I can verify this is how much money I just spent when I walked out of Walgreens or Macy's or something. I got to check and see whether that's a credit card issue, whether it's an Apple Watch issue. I'm still working on that. You know, I've noticed in the last few days, speaking of credit card issues or things like that, this is not Apple Watch. I don't have an Apple Watch. I don't know if I'm going to get an Apple Watch. But it's on the iPhone where I'm now seeing more and more services, banks especially, allow you to use Touch ID to log in. Have you noticed that? No, I haven't. I know that the um, Apple online store has changed its policies. I, I think you can now use Touch ID in some cases to do certain things on the Apple store. I haven't had time to explore that. I wish I could buy apps in the uh, App Store just by touching Touch ID. That would be nice. I have to keep entering my password. I just noticed the other day that uh, it'll store your password for free items and say, okay, do you want to use this password all, all the time for free items? Right, exactly. But uh, I'd like to be able to use Touch ID for any app I buy anytime, free or not. That would be cool. The other thing that annoys me about the Apple Watch is that there's things called complications up in the corners where you can have you know, the date from the world clock, you can, the time, you can have digital time there, but not seconds, just hours, minutes. You can have the outside temperature, you can have sunrise, uh, you can have your calendar. But not every watch face has every complication. And so there's some watch faces that are really cool where you just can't have a calendar. Let's and, point out here, complication is a word used in the watch industry to refer to the extra features, the extra dials and such. So it's not specific 
to Apple Watch. It's a watch term. Right. And one of my friends who's an amateur astronomer wants to have a complete red light mode. It won't ruin his dark adaption. There is a watch face called color, but it has white hands. You can turn everything red except those white hands. And so he would like to see a watch face for people who are working at night, amateur astronomers, people working in dark rooms, to need to keep their dark adaption and uh, wants to see an entire red face. So the, there's some things for Apple to do, to, for us to look forward to in, in watch OS 1.1. Now, the other thing to bear in mind is up till now, watch apps would be hosted on your iPhone. And now with a further revision, they're going to allow the apps to run native on the Apple Watch, which means there's no delay like you had with the Bluetooth and everything else. It's going to run a lot faster. Yeah, again, that's an opportunity for you to run down your battery quite a bit. I would recommend being very careful with that. As with all Apple products, whether it's OS X or whether it's, whether it's your phone or whether it's your watch, you really have to have some sort of structure, I think, or mentality about, you know, what is it that I really need? You just can't go all giddy and say, well, I'm going to just do everything and play with everything because then it becomes complex and you get a little frustrated and then things happen you don't understand and you run down the battery too quick. So when these new devices come out, you got to sort of say, what do I I really need? What what serves me? What needs do I have? And how can I fulfill those? And what's uh, what is not necessary? That's how I approach things. And I think that's how I approach all the devices and the software that I get. And I think it's a good idea. You know, that sounds really good. Right now, of course, we're seeing version one of a new product. We forget the limitations of version one of the iPhone. Oh, yes. You Wait can run third-party apps <laughs> on it. Remember that? All the limitations? Oh, yeah. yeah. Edge network, no cut and paste. Yeah. But we were so giddy about touching the icons, and it looked so cool, and it was so elegant compared to the Blackberries that uh, we overlooked a lot of weaknesses. You know, I wonder here, I'm just thinking, we talk about the Edge, all right? And the Edge is the next browser from Microsoft. It's called Edge. And Edge is also, by the way, a musician, of course, sings with U2, right? Edge, he's a member of U2. We have a Ford called an Edge, a Ford vehicle called an Edge, and Microsoft wants to call their browser Edge. I'm not going to even get into that because it's just not part of this discussion. It was part of our previous discussion with Daniel Aaron Dilger. More to come with John Martellaro. We're going to find out how his MacBook speaks to him. Maybe he's running the Windows 10 technical preview in parallels, and he's using Cortana to speak to him. No, he's not doing that. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Free from the shackles of corporate America, we're the place for independent thinkers. GCN. Neighbors, are you tired of dealing with a slow web hosting provider? Well, check out A2 Hosting and their screaming fast Swift server platform. They even have SSDs that load pages 300% faster than the competition. Ready to give your site a speed boost? Well, tell you what, neighbors, head on over to a2hosting.com. 
That's A2, that's number two, A2hosting.com. Check out their Prime Hosting account. And get this, neighbors, they're even giving you an exclusive 25% off discount for all our listeners. 25%. And remember, their Guru Crew support team is standing by 24-7, 365 days a year to answer any of your questions. Now, to get the discount, use the coupon code GENE when you check out. Yuvia needed financing to grow her restaurant business, but her bank simply didn't understand. I was frustrated. Yuvia found on-deck business loans. On-deck did it for me. I called on Saturday, and I had $50,000 in my account on Monday morning. How about the terms? Incredibly easy. It doesn't mess with your cash flow. On-deck changed everything. This company, on-deck, is going to be there for me. Was it a good move? I'm looking to increase sales probably 30%. Been in business for at least a year with 100000 plus in revenue? On Deck can get you 5000 to $250,000 in as little as one business day. And they're A-plus rated with the Better Business Bureau. On Deck has opened up so many doors for me now. Truly, truly, the sky is the limit. I, I'm excited. Apply now at ondecklending.com or call 800-326-5430. 800-326-5430. 800-326-5430. Loan subject to lender approval. There's a man named Dr. Joel Wallach who is anything but your typical doctor, both a veterinarian and naturopathic physician. Doc asks, why does the United States spend more money on health care by far and still rank 50th in health and longevity worldwide? He believes that people should empower themselves with a basic understanding of nutrition, take charge of their health, and attain optimal health and longevity through nutrition, not by toxic prescription drugs that lead to side effects and more toxic prescription drugs. Doc Wallach's message is resonating with an increasing number of Americans who are waking up to all the big government, big pharma, and big insurance manipulation of our health care system. I'm George Norrie, and I like what Doc Wallach is saying and doing to enlighten people about health care. Visit criticalhealthnews.com and listen to Dr. Wallach's Deadly Recipes Lecture. It makes a lot of sense, and I urge you to join our Critical Health News team. Go to criticalhealthnews.com. That's criticalhealthnews.com. Quantitative easing, unemployment at depression levels, Europe financial system falling apart, China getting out of U.S. treasuries. At the end of 2008, the time of TARP, the national debt was at 11 trillion gold, trading around $850 per ounce. Close to 2012, the national debt exceeded 16.4 trillion, gold doubled to $1,600 per ounce. The 20 trillion threshold for the national debt is inevitable. Politicians in Washington have a ferocious appetite for spending and stimulus. What's worse, a print press to finance. A hundred years ago, we had a gold standard to limit this madness, but now you have to adopt your own gold standard. Don't be fooled with paper promises. Get Midas Resources 10 Reasons to Buy Gold free by calling 800-686-2237. Understanding the gold and silver market may be the only insurance you could have to avoiding the next economic crisis. Call 1-800-686-2237 and order your free copy. Again, that's 800-686-2237. You're listening to the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next. John Martellaro, my friend, tell me how 
Does your MacBook speak to you? And in what language? I must admit, that was kind of a, a lurid title. Of course, uh, our, our MacBooks and, and OS X don't have Siri yet. But when I got my MacBook, it was space gray, by the way. I have to, I have to say that I saw a, a gold MacBook in the, in the Apple store at the mall. And boy, I'm glad I didn't order one that was gold because it just looks so bling and, and, and it looks so cheesy. Whereas the space gray looks so businesslike and serious, but that's just me. So I get this MacBook home and I start using it and I start exploring and it and it starts talking to me. You know, I started trying to do things to it and it says, okay, well, you know, let's think about this, you know. And so I'm thinking about, well, how am I going to print? And it goes, oh, well, you know, you want to, you want to do air print kind of, kind of takes you down that path. And so I tried printing with air print and yep. It works. And so you want to, um, for example, share a file to another Mac. Well, how can you do that? Well, you could do Apple file sharing, mount the, the disk of your other Mac on it, or you can use uh, AirDrop, which finally works. And AirDrop and Apple file sharing work just fine. So I'm sitting there going, yeah, I keep having this urge. I keep wanting to connect wires. But it, the, the MacBook keeps talking to me and says, no, listen, John, we really don't need to do that. So then I'm thinking about Time Machine because I, I like to keep my Macs backed up with Time Machines and, and often something more than that too, like Data Backup 3. And I'm thinking about, well, how am I going to do this? Well, fortunately, I ordered a USB-C to USB 3 cable with it. I'm glad I did because they're hard to get in the Apple retail stores. At least they are in Denver. And um, so I connected my little external time machine drive and it worked fine. But then I thought, well, you know, one of my readers said, I've been backing up via Wi-Fi for years. So I said, well, let's try it. So I connected the uh, MacBook uh, over the Wi-Fi to the, to the RAID that I have, which is on the airport system and on the Wi-Fi system. And, and it worked just great. And I said, well, what happens if I need to do a restore? So I booted from the recovery partition and I went and looked at Time Machine Restore, and lo and behold, wirelessly, there was the RAID icon sitting right there as my Time Machine drive. If I needed to restore completely from the Time Machine wirelessly off the RAID, there it was. That's all I need. So I wrote an article about you know, this, this path I went through, and every time I had this, what I call, you know, sort of like old-fashioned urge, you know, to do things in old ways, the MacBook kind of guided me along. That's why I said it was speaking to me was because it just has this new way of thinking and doing things. And then if you work at it a little bit, suddenly you find yourself working in new ways and you go, oh yeah, that works. What was I thinking? That's how my new MacBook speaks to me. Okay, well, if you want to have a conversation with a MacBook, be my guest. (laughs) Now, I was reading something here about the next Thunderbolt. Thunderbolt 3 is going to use a connection pin that's the same as USB-C. Yeah, you'll be able to run both protocols over the same cable. Unfortunately, the MacBook we were just talking about doesn't have that facility, but we're thinking that the new MacBook Pros coming out there will have that. And uh, Thunderbolt 3 will give you a whole lot of new things. 40 gigabits per second transfer rate, up to 100 watts of uh, charging power, You'll the ability to run 
two 4K displays. You know, when the MacBook came out, uh, we lost MagSafe and we lost what appeared to be a Thunderbolt 2. And of course, people were wringing their hands going, oh, yeah, yeah, Apple's doomed. What's Apple thinking? We lost MagSafe. But all along, turns out Apple was very thoughtful and planning ahead and and working on running Thunderbolt 3 over the USB-C connector. It's going to be awesome. Thunderbolt 3. And in the meantime, we have the MacBook. And I think for the purpose for which it's designed, and that's a problem that the critics don't get, for the purpose for which it's designed, you want something that's slim, light, and gets enough performance for normal things like going on the internet and doing some very slight gaming or audio editing. Maybe you're doing podcasts and it should be fine for that. Or word processing. It's a pretty good computer. I was thinking about what it means by evaluating what I take with me when I travel. I haven't traveled that much in recent years, but when I travel, I remember in the early days in the 90s, I'd bring a portable printer with me. I had to have everything. And then I took less and less, and now usually it's a 2010 17-inch MacBook Pro, heavily modified with more memory and a SSD, so it keeps current. And I take that. That's a pretty heavy thing, by the way. I take it with a microphone. And the charger and a few other things, still pretty heavy. But now, if we get to a MacBook, which, by the way, its performance is not that dissimilar from a 2010 MacBook Pro. We take that, we take the microphone, maybe one USB-C adapter, of course, for that microphone. And that's it. That's all I need. I don't need all the extra garbage anymore. And I think more and more people who want to travel, who want a full-featured personal computer, but don't want to carry all the extra stuff and they don't want it to weigh that much, it's a pretty good deal. I've had my MacBook for about three weeks now, something like that. And I can tell you it feels snappier than my 2011 MacBook Air. Now, the MacBook Air from 2011 had 4 gig of RAM and the MacBook has 8, but that, that shouldn't matter because I keep my MacBooks fairly lightly loaded for research and for writing. Uh, I think the uh, updated technology for casual work and just the general feel of the operating system, it feels even quicker. Now, that's true. Like you said, if you tried to do Photoshop editing or something very complex and heavy duty, you'd find that it wasn't nearly as fast as uh, a 2015 MacBook Air or MacBook Pro. But for casual everyday use, for writing, for reading, for browsing on the internet, for doing your email, for checking up on Twitter and social communication and looking at occasional YouTube, other videos, watching trailers, it's a fine little computer. And you know what's cool about it is the way it feels in your hand. That two pounds, it's, remember when the iPad Air came out and all of a sudden there was this feeling like, wow, this is so thin and light. The iPad Air is fundamentally different than the kind of thick and bulky and heavy iPad 3 and 4. That's the way the MacBook feels to me. Uh, my wife has a, has a MacBook Air, and when I handle it, it feels like the old days. It's just so big and clunky and heavy. And that's a remarkable thing to say about a MacBook Air. When Recall when it first came out, you know, Steve Jobs slid it into a manila envelope and tied the loop. And we were all aghast, you know, wow, a MacBook Air fits into a mailing envelope. Sure, and but you see what happens with technology, folks. <laughs> 
just a few years, and that's heavy. That's the heavy computer. Now the MacBook will be heavy in five years. Think about it, all right? Or the new MacBook Pro, whatever it is. That one will weigh three pounds. It'll be heavy. John Martellaro, please tell our listeners where we can find more of what you do. I'm a senior editor for analysis and reviews at the Mac Observer, www.macobserver.com. See you there. And you can find more of the things we do over on Twitter. Look for Tech Night Out. Also look for technightout.com and check out plus.technightout.com. That's plus.technightout.com. And that's our premium version of the show, free of 41 minutes of network ads, better quality audio, $5 a month, 50 a year, 175 for five years. Really big deal. Plus.technightout.com. Don't forget our other radio show about UFOs and things that go bump in the night the Paracast, and we've got coming back Alejandro Rojas, who's a really knowledgeable writer and researcher about UFOs, and he wrote us before we prepared to record the show, I have a feeling you guys are going to get me in trouble. Did we? That's the Paracast, and you can reach us now at yet another domain, theparacast.rocks. How about that? Theparacast.rocks. Who cares, right? John Martellero, thanks for joining us on the Tech Night Out Live. It was a pleasure. See you next time. The Tech Night Out Live is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. We'll be back next week. Same bad time, same bad channel.